Hello and welcome to episode 153 of Flicks in a Six. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Costanzo, with me, forever and always, the man, the myth, the karate east, Alessandro Bielsi. Say hello, Bob. You're listening to Flicks in a Six, the number 19 movie review podcast in the People's Republic of China. That's right! On this week's episode, we say goodbye to Lord Vader, Dark Fat returns, and a reading, along with other news and nuggets, all before diving into our flick of the week, Boogie Nights. But first, Al, what are we drinking? I totally forgot about the Vader thing, even though that was only a couple of days ago, and like we discussed it, um, but I never mm. actually added it to the thing. Also, when we were talking about things to discuss, like news nuggets, and I was like, wow, it's really weird how light I am on all of this. Totally forgot, probably because it was almost a week ago. No, it was a week ago because I had it in my intro since a week ago when I thought we were still going to be recording a week ago <laughs> that we were number 19 in movie review podcasts in China, which I still don't. That's right. I mean, we, I'm pretty sure we figured out how, but the timing of it is very confusing. It's probably very because odd. we did The Wandering Earth several months ago, but it's possible. what a random thing. It ramped up. It ramped up since Thank then. you to our listeners in China, I guess. I hope you enjoy yeah. our show. I wouldn't say that we've ever done this show as like a particularly like for or against anything Chinese in any way, shape, or form. I, I don't think we've ever really rendered much of an opinion on China as a concept, as a country, as a people. China as a concept. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, <laughs> when you boil it down, we're all concepts, right? So, Sure. Um, That's deep. <laughs> but I hope you guys are enjoying the show, I guess. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Cheers, China. Hey, listen, write in. We have Twitter, we have email. You're going to have to write in English right. because neither of us speaks Chinese, F- nor for sure. Flicks, I, 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 could, I could find a way to translate it. Flicks in a six at thespintune.com. But I would assume that if you're listening to us... You probably understand English would be my guess because we don't speak I would, Chinese. Uh, I Chinese. would assume. That's right. Do we? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. I, I don't know what happens on some of those episodes where we go a few more beers in. <laughs> well, there's that one specific episode that we don't talk about that one clip in which I fell asleep. I mean, in which I definitely didn't fall asleep mid-sentence. Um, That's right. Blue? Blue? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what about. Uh, <laughs> So anyway, we're drinking uh, Einstock. <laughs> we Heavy. Um, that's it. Just oh, I- Icelandic We Heavy. From Einstein. Icelandic we have it. Um, there's a bunch of Icelandic words on here that I don't know how to pronounce. I think we did that when we did the uh, the white ale a few weeks ago, months ago, whenever that was exactly. Um, it's This is mm-hmm. a Scottish ale brewed with angelica root and smoked Icelandic barley. That sounds exciting. Mm, um, it does. I'm pretty excited about this. I, I know I had the white several times before. There's another one I had. W H I T. There's another one I had. I don't know if it was a porter or a brown ale or something like that or a stout. I had one other of their beers when the first time I had them. There was two beers total that day. It was at a, a craft beer festival. I don't think it was this one, although the label was a similar color, I think. I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, mm. so let's experience this together. I'll just pretend it's the first time I've never had it or I've had it in case I had had it that one time. Um, this, this has a lovely froth, a lovely froth. Not S- my that sticks, here. that sticks to the glass. My beer didn't have a noteworthy head. I don't believe No, it doesn't have a head. It has a retention of the froth on the glass. Okay. I mean, the, those, two, uh, the those two things are kind of interchangeably. Like said, um, I'm going to read off the back of this bottle quick, and then I think there's some stuff on this box as well. So, um, Viking history in Scotland goes back more than a thousand years. Even our brewmaster studied in Edinburgh, where he 
carefully surveyed the local craft. Now we returned with an Icelandic Scotch ale, brewed with locally farmed smoked barley and spiced with native Icelandic angelica, a fabled herb ancient Vikings use as currency. Surrender your taste buds. They have no choice but to be Ooh. conquered. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, now I'm going to exclaim three words in Icelandic that I don't know what they mean, so hopefully I don't offend anyone. Drektu, Sigradu, Endertaktu. That's right. I'm guessing those are some sort of fighting words. That old classic saying. I'm guessing those are some sort of fighting words. I don't know what they mean. Um, if we have any Icelandic you listeners, know, I know we're not number 19 in Iceland, but if we have any, any Icelandic listeners, please let us know what it means. But goals, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, like me and Anthony said, we're going to have an international takeover before conquering the U.S., I suppose. We're going right. to tour the world and uh, get as many international listeners as possible. <laughs> Um, on, it's really securing our future. On this uh, box, it says, "Oh no, this is the same thing. Never mind." Except it doesn't have the cool fight. <laughs> doesn't have the cool fighting words at the end of it, which is a little weird. Oh, that's a shame. So, okay, this makes more sense though, because I said I'm not 100 percent sure what the wee heavy is. It's so it's a Scotch ale. I've had those like once or twice. Um, mm. the ones I've had, I liked. Yeah, same. There, it's kind of a unique same. style. It's the type of thing I'd probably want to make. I really want to get in on this smoked Icelandic barley. Yeah? You want to dabble? Cheers. You want to dabble? I want to dabble. Cheers. It smells delightful. Oh. Yes, this does taste like I recall a Scotch Ale tasting. It's been a while. I think I had one from... Ooh. Was it Founders? Does Founders have a, a Scotch Ale? Um, I don't know. I, maybe? I think that actually might have been the one that I had, if that's the case. I got a. I know that I, I had growler. a Scotch ale at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. <laughs> okay, well, I definitely wasn't there for that. I had a Scotch ale, like I want to say, two years ago. I got a growler of it. I like to get a, a growler for football Sundays. You know, I share with my brother and my dad. We watch the football games together. I had one a couple years ago, and it was by far the maltiest beer I've ever had, and it was so good. Uh, it's mm. the only thing like that I've ever had before. Um, I definitely drank too much of it. Over that course of that day, because I got a gallon of it. Um, it's probably not the best beer for doing that amount of volume of drinking, but it was so damn good. It was worth it, despite the fact that I hated myself. Sure. Uh, and that one was pretty this strong, is really too. good. I, uh, it has, like, um, maybe this is what, like, kind of, like, maybe, is it malty? Yes. The, uh, that, that syrupy, like. It's sweet. Just say it. It's sweet. Thing that's left on my palate afterwards, though, is that from the malt? Yes. I, it's very tasty. It's a sweet it's, beer, uh, but it's not sickly. Yeah, that yeah, that's that. That's why I think it's, is, I'm like, like a little bit lost here. It's a, it's odd. It doesn't have all the characteristics of whatever that flavor is. So it's, it's incredibly <laughs> malt forward, um, which is not something that most beers are. Like I guess mm-hmm. there are some like Belgian like triple like type beers that are, but that's a very different flavor than this. Um, right. It does kind of have a little bit of residual bitterness on the palate afterwards but typically it's hard to achieve this style of like beer with a lot of hoppiness which is you know because everyone knows the expression hop forward or anyone who knows right beer right you don't hear yeah. super malt forward too often and sometimes it can be harder to to like identify and like discuss unless you have one that's this like it's like there's like a threshold that you have to really cross to be like oh, okay now i get what you're saying yeah, I think I'd probably be in that boat um, where I'm getting like this something like reminiscent of molasses. Yeah, uh, there is kind of that 
that sort of effect. Uh, so by the way, this is 8% alcohol by volume. Okay. The one I'm thinking of, it was like, I think like six and a half percent, which is okay. Um, let me see if it was, I think it was Founders. It was a really good beer. I only had it that one time. Hmm. I'm a fan of this. I have no, what, what would you, uh, how many thuckles would you give this guy? Because I really don't know. Oh, this has got to be easily. Two thuckles? I would say easily two to three thuckles. Two to three? I'll, I'll go two thuckles. I'll go two thuckles. Because it's, it's honestly, it's, this might be one of the ones that gets a third, like as we go further on into the show. Where I'm not quite sure where I land on certain parts of it, <laughs> but uh, I do like it. I also will say that lately I've been watching Outlander and um, uh, Dominic having, Dominic and Emily having the Wee Heavy made me really excited because that's they say we a lot and it makes me happy. Uh, uh, and I I start talking like them. I always think of uh, every time the show. I ends. always think of uh, Cloud Atlas when uh, the little old Scottish guy. You know, I know, mm. I know. They stand up yeah. when he stands up in the pub, and we're yeah. in need of a wee bit of assistance. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives that whole big speech. That's so good. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was nice. Founders this beer. I just looked it up. Uh, it's the Dirty nice. Bastard Scotch Ale. Mm. That one says dark ruby in color and brewed with seven varieties of imported malts. Complex and finished with hints of smoke and peat paired with a multi richness and a right hook of hop power to give it the bad attitude that a beer named Dirty Bastard has to live up to. Ain't for the wee lads. Wow, what is it with we and these... I guess that really must be a Scottish thing. Yeah, little. Yeah. Uh, no, I understand what it means. I'm just like, what What was with like that specifically like <laughs> popping up in both of these? Um, I think richness is the way... is like the right word to describe it. Right? The that's, multi-richness. That's fair. It's, it's like... It's just... It's such a thick... Like sweet like flavor but again like not in like a runaway this is just pure sugar like eating right. fucking like like scooping cane sugar out of like a bowl and eating yeah, yeah. thing. no this is a uh, rich is rich is a good a good adjective for it i um it's also it's about as rich as the dinner that i made tonight which was delicious oh wow that was <laughs> totally unanticipated i picked it because it was a, a heavy dark beer it's a icelandic beer and it was snowing a little bit today uh, so I figured it was the perfect one to ease us into the winter. So I made um, I made herb mashed turnips. Oh, okay. With um, pan seared bavette steaks, and then I made a mushroom wine sauce reduction hmm. and put it on top. Hmm. And oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> was it tasty! <laughs> but this this would have been fantastic right next to it. We had we we not not that sort of way. <laughs> we, we with one e. Oh, okay. Uh, Got me with one E had uh, orecchietti with sausage and sun dried tomatoes, baby <clears> kale, <throat> and a white wine sauce. Nice. That's uh, so both pretty heart- hearty, pretty- rich meals. Yeah, yeah. Once you do that, that you put butter in it at the end and mix it up because it it adds this uh, it, it creams up with the with the wine sauce and it, it's a nice coating on the pasta if you ever done that it's really so good. yeah no we had like the big family dinner and my parents are on a diet so i don't believe there was ah. butter in it and so the mm-hmm. sauce was a little bit thinner than that i have had it that way though yes it's quite nice it's oh quite and nice. for sure there was um, there was crushed red pepper flakes in there too because you gotta, oh, gotta mean, have a little bit of spice in that meal. They've, they've gotta be there. I don't, I don't know what you're doing if you don't have them. <laughs> uh, hey, I, before we move on from this beer because of the uh, Viking on the on the bottle, 
I have to give you an update on Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Oh, nice. I thought you were going to talk so, about how long my hair and beard was. Uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, you no, know, you'll like this. I um, I was playing the game, and I, I, I used to get overwhelmed, um, but I've been like... Like with a big game like this, and like I don't even know where to like what to do. I feel like I'm doing it wrong because I feel like I have to like play it in a certain order. You have to, I've, you have to do I've it been, all. I've been surrendering to the game and putting it on for like an hour and just kind of doing whatever comes to mind while I'm there. And whether somehow that's continue I keep the main mission. That dice game. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, so it's most mostly it, it turns into me going. I wonder what's on top of that mountain, and I just climb a mountain and I get to the top. Nothing's there, and then I I'm done for the evening. <laughs> but this time I climbed the mountain. Hey, here's a tip: and stop climbing mountains. <laughs> no, no, no. This is trust me. After this story, you, I'm a, I want to climb all the mountains. <laughs> all right. Uh, this is the abbreviated version. There'll be a longer one on Game Bites, uh, which you can check out probably in the next four weeks. I don't know which one it'll be on, but <laughs> super helpful uh, tease. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we'll just listen to the show. You know, that's how you, you get to number eighteen if you want to know. Uh, so I climb this mountain and, uh, you know, it's, it's peaceful and there's this character standing like way in the distance and my character notes it and she goes, there's somebody over there. I wonder what he's doing. And I walk, I make my way over to them and he's, he's kind of muttering to himself and I go talk to him and he's got like all of these, uh, these crates around him and he goes, Oh, uh, my, my children won't bury my belongings with me when I die, so I won't be able to take them to the next life. The only way that I could do so is to offer them up to the gods now so that they'll be there when I arrive. And she goes, is that how it works? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, of course. And he's like, would you mind helping me? And I was like, well, this is literally what I just said that I'm going to do is just relax and go with the flow of the game. So I was like, sure, I'll help. And I just start picking up boxes, and it's very satisfying, and I'm throwing them off a cliff. like. A steep cliff, throwing them way off, and uh, with every other box, he's explaining what was in it, and like there's like every like these little stories that go along with it. I was like, and then I hit the last box, and I was like, oh, I'm kind of bummed this is over. And we go to talk to him, and she goes, well, that's it. And he goes, that was only the offering. He's like, it was to announce my arrival for Asgard, and he runs and dives off the cliff, and on his way down goes, thank you, <laughs> and I went. What just happened? Sorry, I assumed that he was going to ask you to kill him. <laughs> so I, I, I thought so too, or something along those lines, but no, no, he just needed help throwing the boxes, and then he or, hurled himself off the cliff. Or I assumed he was going to attack you, you know, because he has to have a worthy death, and, you know, you are a worthy mm -hmm. adversary who can put him in the ground in an honorable fashion. Funny you should say that. Came across another side mission where that was the case, but it was, like, against these soldiers that are, like, really good soldiers, and uh, I didn't realize that the event had started, and I took an axe to the face, and it was over. <laughs> all, all of that sounds much more Viking to me. Like, yeah, sure, like, offering yeah. the gods, and we're going to meet them in the next <laughs> life or whatever. But, like, no, like, I will either slay you or you will slay me, and one of us will be toasting uh, in Asgard because we're worthy, like, warriors. Like, yeah. that's got to happen at some point, probably more than once. Well, the the uh, the little cherry on top of this ridiculous Sunday that I had was I climbed down the mountain because that's where I was actually needing to go after I climbed to the top. I was climbing down the other side of it. And I get to the bottom and I see all these broken up things that I've thrown and a body. <laughs> well, I was hoping some of those like, things survived the fall and you were going to be able to like claim them and either sell them or use them. That would have been cool. 
That would have been cool. But I was like, is that what these... Like, I've never really gotten into an Assassin's Creed game before. I was like, is this what these games are? Uh, I I only played the first one, and I do not recall anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm having a good time with it. Anyway, three uh, three thuckles. I'm going to go three thuckles. Seems right. Seems right. We've reached it. We've reached uh, an accord. Uh, you want to get into some news and nuggets? Yeah, let's do it. We must say goodbye to Lord Vader. Well, one of them, anyway. Uh, well, yes, yeah, that's, that's true. The Tower Invader, David Prowse, has passed. And, uh, By the way, Super Jack yeah. is a younger man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he has, a, he has like, a, a Schwarzenegger-esque background, I feel like. Just, like, just pumping iron. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize. Like, I mean, obviously, you can tell he's a large dude. I never saw him, like, outside of the suit, really. Like, Or, like, sometimes right. you see, like, a kind of a picture of him in bust, like, seated. And it's like, okay, like, he's fairly a large guy, but I, most of the pictures I saw of him was older. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how jacked he was until I saw, like, when he died, there was pictures of him as, like, a strong man, like, years before he was Vader. I was like, oh! Right. Wow. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty it's strong. it's pretty crazy. Um, I, I learned a lot about him uh, watching a documentary. I think I had mentioned it, like, a while back uh, on the show, but it, it was on Netflix at the time. I assume that you probably still get it there. Uh, it's called I'm Your Father, and it was about him playing Vader and kind of getting snubbed in the last moments of the movie uh, where it's not his face when the mask is taken off. Well, he got, and, he got snubbed multiple times, right? Because he also voiced all the original yeah. principal photography, and then they were like, this isn't working for us, and they brought in James Earl Jones. So like that, That's right. Getting snubbed is kind of his whole like story. And there's an interesting, it's just an interesting tale, and it's well worth the watch. Um, and there's like some interesting animosity between, it seems, between him and Lucas, and they don't really get to the bottom of it because Lucas uh, declines to comment. Also, it sounds like but both of them had legitimate gripes. It, it does, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Because it, it, seems it, like, it seems like, from what I can tell, and I didn't get to watch it, but I've read bits of it, and I've heard bits of it from you. I mean, for him... I can understand feeling a little bit like upset, like, Hey, like, am I Vader or not? You know what I mean? Like, you just want me to like walk around like an idiot, you know, in this suit. Like I don't get to be Vader. And then also the ultimate slap in the face at the end where it's like, okay, fine. The the payoff in the end has got to be, it's me, right? Nope. It's now a third person. And also there's right. that fourth and fifth person who does the fight scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also it's Lucas, a whole... It sounds like he's like, Hey, like he's in charge and you're being a prick on set. And then every little thing that we're doing, making my job impossible because you're constantly undermining me. So like, fuck you. Like I can understand both of them being pissed at each other. Sure. I will say that the, um, I definitely took that, uh, that Netflix special. Well, I don't know if it was made for Netflix or not, but I took it with a grain of salt because it did, it did seem that it was, um, portrayed more like in a a kind of one-sided manner where it didn't really lean into like the why of like for him. Um, but more hinting at just like other things that were going on. I will say what's, what's cool about it is the whole, the whole concept is uh, a re-edit of that final scene with him in it, mm. which is really cool, but they can't show it to you on account of licensing, but it was a really interesting watch. And I, I was very captivated by it. It's, I think it's worth the time, especially now that he's passed, it'd be a nice way to, to remember him by. Um, but uh, that was, I was like, oh, it's a, it's it's one of those things, right? Like it's just like childhood person that like I've only became really aware of him like within the past few years, like looking deeper into some of this stuff, uh, and then 
uh, to have him pass away was just a, you know, it's a bummer. He's an older guy, but uh, it was, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's so weird that whole, that whole thing that happened to him and not being on the screen. It's just, it's an odd story. It's just a very strange tale. Yeah. Um, and also it's kind of, you tend to expect it too. When guys are that large, they tend not to live super long lives. Unfortunately, sure. it's, there's a lot of health complications that come along with that. Of course. Yeah. But um, anyway, rest in peace. One of our Vader's. Now um, I have a question. Yes. When he moves on to the other life, does he get to be Hayden Christensen or? <laughs> <laughs> that was oh, important. That was too soon. That was too soon. Oh boy, that was a uh... yeah. That that that's a thing that they did. Honestly, I'm okay with it because it made for the truly laugh out loud funny joke at the end of not something something dark side. What was the? Uh... Oh, it's a trap. Was it? Was that? The, that was the one. Uh, I. Is it, um, something something? It's a trap. The second one. Oh, I thought something something dark side was the second one. You might be right. Um, but anyway, at the end when they're doing all of that, and they ha- first of all they have Stewie, who was Vader obviously in the the Family Guy trilogy with the obviously broken neck. And he goes, "What yes. the hell, man? I was gonna make it." And then at the it, end they just uh, pop up, and I'm Hayden Christensen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I gotta rewatch those. They, they were great. I have the I have the DVD collection that looks just like the original uh, VHS collection, yes. like with the shiny box. But Stewie is Vader. Yeah, so good. Yeah, because I had the '97 release VHS mm-hmm. set with the Vader face. I think even all of them actually since then had done that. Didn't they? There was the silver one, which is the VHS '97 one. Then there was a gold one that was either DVD or Blu-ray. No, so the silver and gold were widescreen and full screen. That might have been it ultimately, but in the 97 one was silver and it was VHS. I don't think the widescreen mm-hmm. full screen was a debate at that point. No, no, with, on, on VHS. Really? Yes. The widescreen was a thing with VHS? It was. I thought that yeah. didn't pop up until flat screens and DVDs. No, no, it's a, it's a thing. I, mean, I guess there Believe was, I guess there was big screen was, TVs that technically were widescreen, but still. That's yeah. The uh, the those big screen projection, like quote unquote, like they have like the big bulb on the back. Yeah, the, those the TVs were that widescreen, so you can get. That's right. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, I I remember because I, uh, I having to pick the appropriate one. Um, oh god! But there were so many. There were so many of those situations gr- growing up, from like let's call it 2002 on. Where I would get into that fight with my dad all the time whenever we would buy like a DVD or whatever, and it's like stop buying the widescreen because we didn't have a widescreen TV at that point, and so we had to watch the shit right. widescreen on the full screen TV. Yeah. Then ultimately the joke would be on us because we would get a good TV, and now we were watching full screen DVDs on a widescreen television, and it's like no, God damn it. the the joke is that uh, it, it's it might be hard unless you're like were an avid movie watcher, which you you were for them. Like um, I don't know. You're probably like close to my level at that point of watching movies, even when I was younger, like throwing them on all the time. But when you're watching, yeah, because I was full I was screen a big, movie. I was a big movie person before TV. I didn't really get into TV until like yeah. late in high school, and now obviously TV is kind of at strict movies for me. Well, not during football season, and also when I'm working sixty hours a week. But like generally speaking, for the last decade, has been like dominated more by TV than movies. As much as I love movies, obviously. It, yeah, but I, I I would watch the same because I I loved rewatching movies. I would like you know find any things that I hadn't seen before, 
Um, and I had all of my movies back in the day, obviously, were full screen. Even when DVDs came out, I started with full screen DVDs because I was like in this mode of like, I want to see the whole screen filled with my movie. Uh, joke being on me, when I finally, when a movie that I would watch over and over again, when I finally saw it for the first time in Letterboxd and was like, there is so much more to this scene. <laughs> How did, like, this is terrible. <laughs> like, literally so much gets cut off that it's insane. Which actually reminded me of another stupid family guy joke that's a total one-off where they were watching a movie. You know, it's a lot, like, a lot of episodes that start with them watching a movie or yeah. a TV show, and, like, th- like that tees off a joke that sets them on a path that's something totally different. And so <laughs> yeah. like, they're watching, and now, you know, presenting, I think it was uh, Lawrence of Arabia, an extra widescreen letterbox, and they show it on the screen, and it's literally, like, one millimeter thick across the... <laughs> the whole screen like you can't it's yeah. just like a line of color i i've seen i've seen this i don't know if it was a clip or yeah, the episode and goes, but extra, yes. yeah, and, and they're like oh wow you know and and so like, who's that handsome lady over there and, and brian goes that's sir Lawrence olivier <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's so silly i uh that's so funny i've also got a whole bunch you know up a boatload of DVDs that are double-sided. Oh, nice. Where it's full-screen, widescreen. Yeah, I Actually, I got some of those kicking back behind me over here. Yeah, a bunch of the Kevin Smith ones I think I have are like that. Um, Unox Saints. Uh, nice, nice. Basically, movies that came out pre-2000, oh, <laughs> there like, was an option. I'm sure I have a full-screen Boondock Saints DVD back here somewhere. Fantastic. Actually, I have to Fantastic. It's definitely over here somewhere where I can't reach. Where are you? <laughs> Don't fall. You're somewhere over there. I see Blazing Saddles. I see Batman. It's got to be somewhere near there. Amazing. Um, moving on. Uh, I came across this article, which I thought was odd, and uh, and just a, it was a strange time for it to come up. It was about dark fat, so I, I obviously had to bring it yeah, up. Yeah, there was too much going on during the intro, but I definitely wanted to get back to how is dark fat coming back at this stage in the yeah. game? So the headline was... Um, uh, a question of whether or not Terminator Dark Fat performed poorly because of franchise fatigue. And that was a notion made by Mackenzie Davis on the Happy Sad Confused podcast. Mm. And that being that it's like the sixth movie in the franchise, uh, thinking that it's and the last, franchise like, fatigue. Sucked. <laughs> and I would say, I would argue that no. It's not. That's not the reason that it didn't perform well. The reason that it didn't perform well is the ones that came before it were trash, so you alienated a bunch of people. Yeah. And this one... Was better than basically those. Basically made was way better than those, but made a classic movie moot. And... Did it? Kind of ruins the story of it. Am I misremembering the... the... Well, this, this is the point with any movie that involves time travel becoming a series... Because you already are on thin enough ice with just a movie involving time travel because what are the rules? Um, right. But every time you then extend that on, you keep overwriting and overwriting and overwriting what's going on. So you threaten to make it all moot. It's, it's honestly even kind of a problem with like Endgame. Like when you set up a situation where you're going to have time travel and we're doing a two-part story about this, the second half, mm-hmm. and we knew that going in, which helped right. soften the blow a little bit, but 
you can appreciate each movie for its own. You can appreciate the whole story told across the two and what it's telling across the whole series of movies and all that. But in the end, Endgame does kind of undermine some of the, a lot of the the weight of the storytelling of what oh, came yeah, before, for sure. which is such a dangerous thing to do. You have to nail it so perfectly with the story and character beats because the aftermath of that is always something that's going to leave tenuous as to why it all matters. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a whole series of movies that, you know, this is just two movies, right? In a, in a tapestry of whatever, 20 something movies that right. there is. Right. Um, and obviously they're the biggest, most important of them, but still they are just single entries in that whole huge catalog. Mm-hmm. This whole series is that. So every time right. you expand it, you are threatening to ruin everything that it's built on. You're building your house on sand. So yeah. Terminator 1, fine. Terminator 2, okay. Each time you iterate again, you're making it even more fraught with all of that bullshit. That is like, mm-hmm. at, at what point is this productive anymore? And I, I mean, I think we realized that the, it was no longer productive past 2, Part of that's due to poor writing, poor acting, whatever. Three, right. four, and five all largely suck. You know, not to say that there isn't maybe a, a shred of goodness in any of them, but sure. uh, this one was by far the best since two, but it still doesn't hold oh, a candle to two. Absolutely. And because it's not nearly as good, like you said, it, it threatens to ruin two. I don't think she's wholly well, wrong when she says that fatigue, not franchise fatigue, it's fatigue of this specific franchise. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, yes, I agree with what you're saying. The problem for me, though, is that it's Terminator 2 is an incredible film. Yes. Right. And to come to follow that up poorly, that was a mistake. And then and then write those off and add a third entry in the movie uh, in the franchise that is now number three. Uh, but not called number three because there is a T three. Yes. Regardless, get that out of the way. Ignoring all, ignoring the fact that they made two crappy movies, um, and put this one in. And what I my my main concern is, and my my main issue is, and I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. If you go back, listen, I I enjoyed the movie. I had fun with it. I thought they did a good job of uh, of almost recapturing that feeling. Um, and you know, awesome work by everybody there. The, in this case, in the case of this movie, what was against them was the fact that they actually had it wrapped up with a really nice bow on it by the end of two. Like, they did a great job of making one, making a second movie in this time travel situation, nailing it, sticking the landing tremendously. Like, you need to walk away. Like, it's one of those things that you can't do it better. Like, it's done. And I'm they honestly, came back I'm... and they did this. And what they did in this third movie, and spoilers for the next minute for Dark Fat, if you want to just hit the skip forward button for a second, starting now, John dies in the first couple of seconds of the movie. Like, that's what I mean by undoing all of the work like, of like the previous one. Like John. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like, it's, it's moments later. <laughs> it's like they've left, they got somewhere, they thought they were safe, they weren't. And then, and then the movie starts. It's like, we needed, that's how they paved their way to create space for this movie. And it just, it was an odd thing to do. And I understand that maybe the, uh, the reason to do it was, oh, we tried doing a little bit older John in three and it didn't work. And it's like, maybe, maybe, Take that note. 
and just leave. <laughs> I'm conflicted on this whole thing because it was a great way to start that movie off, right? It was shock for sure. Um, the problem is it does ruin that other movie. Right. It, made, it definitely, when it starts, I'm pretty sure the only reaction that audience members had were, oh, we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, like, I have to imagine everyone in the moment is like, oh, shit. And, like, there's yeah. like, a largely <laughs> positive reaction, right? And then it's like the benefit of hindsight once you, like, calm down the adrenaline zone. It's like, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, this. Uh, yeah, you right. know? <laughs> but, yeah. like, I, I don't know how they even justify having a movie without doing it. But then again, like the movie, like having this movie period is kind of unjustifiable. Uh, it is like the purest form of a cash grab. Mm-hmm. Like, fine, like make your money. I, I get it. And that's all good and well. But like, you got to give us a reason to care if you want to yeah. make all the money that you plan on making. And obviously they didn't. And it's because we didn't care. And mm-hmm. it's because of how bad three, four and five were. Um, the thing is, as much as I agree, like, okay, like, artistically, I wish they would have just left it be it too. I get why financially they didn't. But if that's the case, don't wait eight years. Don't bring back none of the primary writers and directors and only one of the actors. And mm-hmm. honestly, like, there's a kernel of an interesting idea in that movie. Horrible, sure. horrible execution. Like, like if we're going to get down to why does John Connor matter so much? Oh, it's because adult John Connor is going to both literally and metaphorically repopulate and save the, the you know the human population. Great. Let's get to how that story tips off because then you can honestly lead to what salvation is. Like those right. two stories actually are compelling like or they can be. Like there's an interesting thing. Oh, mm-hmm. well, what comes next? The execution on both of them was really horrendous. And then Genesis just yeah. does this whole like other thing that makes like like <laughs> It would have been better as a totally standalone movie because it just doesn't fit. Like at least three and Salvation, like actually follow the story. Like not well, but like they right. feel like they're all being part, like told as part of the same story. Whereas uh, Genesis feels like it's this whole weird, like alternate universe, like reimagining thing. Where it's like, yeah. like it's one of those like spinoff TV shows where it's like in the same universe as, but not. Chronologically, but then we're using it's like a parallel universe. Yeah, but like we're very, all using yeah. all the same characters and everything. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I want I, I want to uh, curious how you feel about this. There's no way to know. There's no right answer here. There's no way to. There's no way to actually know this. But if you were to take this is my, my how I feel this would, it would play out. If you were to omit the other movies, if this third movie, if Dark Fat came out Terminator as Terminator Three. Shortly after two, I think it might have been even more poorly received because of what it does to the storyline. Like, it's far better than the other two, but if you would have followed up directly after two, after, oh, sorry, when I say the other two, I mean the, the subsequent movies that came after two. Uh, if you were to follow it up directly after two, I feel like it might have been even more frustrating. Do you know what this movie would have been? If you take the baggage out of all those things, and it's impossible, because I'm like, I'm, I want to give you an honest answer, and I realize that I literally cannot. But what, no, what, it, what it immediately brought to mind was something. So I'm just going to pitch it your way and see how you feel about it. Oh boy. Without the hey. baggage of three, four, and five, they didn't exist, right? This movie comes out, let's say, four years after T2, right? 
I would do this movie. This movie is The Last Jedi. Um, because what it does is it takes the whole story and the convention that they set up and flips it on its head, and it becomes we you know it's the what the the purpose of the Last Jedi was right you know we're giving the power back to the people. It's no longer about bloodlines; it's about people, and we realize that our hero is flawed and all that. Same thing. John Connor matters. This and that. Nope. Sorry. Wrong. John Connor is an idea. And it's yeah. his, he sparks, you know, he's the, the spark that lights the flame that fuels the rebellion oh, and all that. Like he, like, that's what he is, right? He becomes a symbol and sure. the people rise up in service of saving humanity from the, the machines. Like that's what it is, right? It's, it's having the willpower to fight for what's right against impossible odds and defending. And it's, well, okay. So does John actually matter or does anyone like John, anyone who would be willing to stand and fight? And so we have to protect that person no matter who it is. Okay, there's there's two two major problems with this. The first one... It's not perfect, but it's it, pretty close. I understand. Yeah, and I, I kind of get what you're saying. I, the first problem with this is that the reason that Terminator works uh, early, very early on in the first two movies is because it is a tightly knit story. The expanded universe of the Terminator is not interesting. Yeah. It's just not an interesting thing. Well, it's interesting as like, an idea. Like, oh wow, that would be cool. But like, it just doesn't work upon like rigorous investigation. But uh, on the contrary, though, with Star Wars, the expanded universe is, in my opinion, more interesting. Yeah, well, it's because it doesn't always have to as much as as much as the the sequel trilogy tried to. It doesn't have to just keep coming back to this one central story, and that's what Terminator always has to do. Right. It always has to come down to world ends, humans, machines. So, like that, that being Star said, Wars Expanded what, Universe can be about Mandalorians, or it can be about you know some other random like species of aliens. It can be about clones. It can be about Jedi. It can be yeah. about dark Jedi. It can be about. But with the with eight coming so many years later with the intention of refreshing and opening up like it seemed it basically was opening the doors for the universe to blow up on on film and said they had to they they thought that it made sense to 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 recalibrate and silo it again in nine however like that like what i'm saying is that that universe is exciting so opening it up after all this time makes sense like let's let's like open the doors and show you like where all these like where it could go you're doing the same. You're making the same move with a story that doesn't have an interesting external universe, and that's why. Sure, I, I'm not I saying just, it wouldn't be doomed to yeah. fail. I'm just saying that it would have been met largely the same. There would be people who would be who would like the subversion of the medium and of the storyline and and what the what we hold as mm. the core principles and whether those core principles actually matter. Does Does John Connor is the most important person in the world matter? No, not super interesting is the idea of fighting against insurmountable odds on the principal matter. Yes, good, great, let's mm. talk about that. And there would be people who'd hate it because, but in the last one you said John is the yeah. one. You know, what is- that, it's the same debate that episode eight was. Luke's the, hot, the hero, not really, he's a hero, but what's actually interesting is that anyone can be the hero and it's about fighting for what matters. And that can take any sort like. Fighting for what matters is such a big, open-ended, vague thing that yeah. can be applied in any way, shape, or form, like um, like uh, billions of ways iterated over and over again, and that's why it's a compelling story. Okay, how about this? This little one extra curveball in here, right? The opening scene of Dark Fat 
as a post credit scene to two. <laughs> so now we're getting, you now, now we're getting into like Dawn of the Dead when they're on the boat. Like, <laughs> can you imagine? You watch Terminator Two and you're like, "Oh my god, what a wild ride!" And you're just sitting in there at the end, letting the credits roll, listening to the na-na-na, just basking in the music, which is fantastic. And then all of a sudden, cut to them on the beach. Bang, bang, bang. Fade to black. (laughs) What? (laughs) That was a hell of an opening. Too trippy. Yeah. (laughs) Also, like in the 90s, could you imagine that? That's like, we're way too early for post credit scenes. Way too early for post credit (laughs) scenes and, and too late for that, like ultra dark dystopic like ending like that's like a straight up like a 70s like sci-fi thriller like oh my god but bring my two ideas together right marry them in this perfect oh this would be fantastic you do that right it's post credit scene kill john off third movie designated runtime two hours and 15 minutes it starts a nuke goes off (laughs) fade to black for the next two hours and 14 minutes. Hey, because there's no credits. It's back. just a special effects guy. One. <laughs> it just rolls really quick. We keep coming back to this idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to do it. Um, you heard it here first, though. Okay? I want credit when this happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you got stuff? You got a, you got a, a nugget? <laughs> I, I have stuff, uh, if that's the way we're doing this. Let's, you got things to say? Yeah. Uh, God, I hope so. We have, we're in the midst of a podcast. Um. <laughs> we are we're in the throes of one week off. It's really just when we shine the most. I think we should just do this every other week. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, usually I bring way too many news and nuggets, and for some reason I blanked sure. on all of it, and I have like one and a half, and one of them I found right before we started. And I'm not even entirely sure what I'm getting into with that one. <laughs> you, read, you read it out loud and you're like, oh, I didn't want to Well, I'm pretty that. sure it's going to piss you off, but um, oh, so do you want to do the reading or do you want to do the news? Wait, what's going to make me angry? The news or the reading? Uh, I guess make me angry first and then we'll have something to talk about with the news I after. always thought when someone says, yeah, I got good news and bad news, you always start with the bad news and then get the Yeah. Because there's a chance the good news outweighs. Yeah, what... <laughs> What if the good news is just so much worse from my perspective and you didn't realize it? <laughs> well, I mean, even the even the news is a bit of a good news, bad news. Oh, boy. But uh, again, I think that the good news outweighs. Got it. Okay. Sure. So let's do a reading. Just Let's just get it out here. I've only read the headline of this story. Uh, it's on the ringer. Um, I have been somewhat familiarized with the subject matter of this article over the past week or so. I have not discussed it with Anthony. I've seen oblique references to it. I had no idea this was happening in the world, except I started seeing snippets on Twitter and like paragraphs and portions pulled from a work of fiction. And this is an article about how Ready Player Two is a copy of a copy. Oh no, don't, I'm reading it. Don't say anything. <laughs> Do I want to know anything about, because you don't know where this article goes. Don't read it out loud. I don't know. What well, if they you ruin something spoiler thing on this, so. They, they do tag yeah. spoiler, major spoiler things on the ringer, so there's no spoiler tag on this. Okay. All right, I will say, before you get started, I'm just curious if this is where we're going to land. Um, you know how 
Ready Player One um, and other things of that time, we were talking about how, like, they're... Some of them, like, walk the line of being, like, too much nostalgia in your face. I know you have a you have a problem with that. Weaponized. Weaponized nostalgia. Like, yeah, weaponized I, nostalgia. The phrase I coined. Uh, the first line of the book is the opening of the prologue, and it says, cutscene. And then <laughs> and then you read it, and there's, I don't know, 15 pages, and 14 of those pages are references. <laughs> so, uh, it's it's... While I was reading it, I was like, I really want to like this, but I can't defend it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of the spirit of what I'm about to read you. Um, Granted, I got very excited the way that the prologue closed. I didn't read any more since that. So I was not aware that he was that Ernest Klein was coming out with the second book. Obviously, you are because you have the book. Um, but I only became aware like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And I hit pre-order, and then it was just like, this is available on your Kindle now. And I was like, thank I you, feel like science. There, I feel like there should have been more <laughs> hype for this, which is probably, it feels like this was like one of those movies that gets four days of promo, and then the movie comes right. out, and then you never hear about it this again. Is, this is a 90s straight to VHS. Yeah. This is sweet. Um, <laughs> this is the return of Jafar. <laughs> the return of Jafar. <laughs> Um, obviously I levied my concerns about the movie when we were going to do it because of what I had heard about that book that I was not super enthused about. Um, Mm -hmm. and from, it's funny what I've seen in the time since then, because I ended up ultimately liking the movie not as much as you, but I liked it. Um, but I could see where people's concerns were for it. And it's funny because the, the prevailing thing from people I saw who, just try to engage with both of them critically, not as I'm a fan of this work, whatever was book bad, borderline incomprehensible movie somehow takes all of that mess and makes it into something that's very eminently watchable. Uh, so from that perspective, let's dive into, I know you love the book, um, yeah. but that's not, there are many fans of the book, but that's not the consensus opinion. I don't believe. Mm. Um, but I will read from this, we haven't done a good reading in a while, so since I don't really yeah. have any news or notes, um, let's do Ready Player Two is a copy of a copy. This is by Zach Cram on The Ringer, um, subtitled or whatever thumbnail. Wait a minute, before you get into this, is that the whole point? Is this a port? <laughs> I don't know, let's find out. Ernest Klein's It's a remaster? <laughs> Ernest Klein's follow to the nostalgia-infused Ready Player One is the embodiment of sequel creep. Ready Player Two doesn't wait to accelerate into its plot. On page six, the main character learns about a new piece of civilization-changing technology. On page 17, after one brief test run, he unleashes it on the world. Okay, didn't get that far. (laughs) This is our first return to the fictional world dreamed up by Ernest Cline since the publication of Ready Player One nine years ago, or for a considerable percentage of readers, since the movie adaptation in 2018. Released last Tuesday, the sequel novel replays all the hits from the story that made the New York Times bestseller list in Klein's career. But in the process, and in the rush to leap into a breakneck plot, the sequel loses the creativity and balance that made the fictional world worth mining. Mm. Like its predecessor, RP2 takes place in the 2040s and mostly in the Oasis, a virtual reality simulation game that dominates global entertainment. In the first book, spoilers for the first book, Protagonist Wade Watts uses his obsessive knowledge of nostalgic pop culture to win a scavenger hunt organized by the Oasis' late creator, James Halliday, and becomes his successor. And in the sequel, Wade must use his obsessive knowledge of nostalgic pop culture to win another of Halliday's posthumous scavenger hunts. If those two sentences sound eerily similar, that's because they encapsulate the first problem with RP2. 
It's embodiment of sequel creep. RP2 is... What is... What are they... Are they... Did they explain sequel creep? Um, what does that mean? That is an expression I'm familiar with. I haven't heard it referenced in a while. Uh, it sounds like they're going to expand upon that in a minute. Okay. Uh, RP2 is basically RP1, but bigger and better and even more stakes. For instance, in the first book, Wade needs to collect three items to complete the quest. In the sequel, that number is seven. In the first book, the lives of Wade and a few others hang in the balance. In the sequel, that number is a lot higher. This sort of artificial inflation of stakes is a common issue with sequels, afflicting even the most lucrative and famous franchises. The Force Awakens asks, what if the Death Star were the size of a planet? And the Rise of Skywalker wonders, what if there were a bunch of ships with the power of the Death Star and a massive fleet? Because the crux of the story remains the same, a rerun of the same plot brings diminished returns. So there you go. Sequel creep is essentially the franchise embodiment of diminished returns, the fallacy of diminished returns. Okay. Okay. The broader RP2 plot, of course, is chiefly a vehicle for nostalgia. As in the first book, your mileage may vary with the multitudinous pop culture references, which are still present and still overwhelming. Wade wakes up every morning to a song about Marty McFly's clock radio. That is, <laughs> if he's not woken by a call on Cameron Fry's bedside phone first. In an early passage that's already made the internet rounds, Wade enters vault number 42 from Hitchhiker's Guide using passcode 8675309. That's right. This is this is what I was talking about when the first fourteen pages are references. I was like, I was going through it. I was like, that's cute. All right, I can get behind this. I'm not going to be able to defend this against Al. <laughs> that's, well, no, no, so like, that was how, that was my mileage while I was reading. It. And like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I made eighteen different references to Family Guy already in this episode. The point is, sure. like, I try to do so for a purpose, not because I can. Like, <laughs> you said a thing, I said a thing. Yeah, like that was like the intention at the out onset was to was to make like have like I want to make this reference. Yes, <laughs> it's putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, and so on. This is the kind of story that describes with complete earnestness its climactic battle, like so. Quote: It was like y- wait a minute. What? It's going to describe the climactic battle of this book. If you're going to do that, I don't want you to read that to me. <laughs> This, I think this sentence will be sufficiently veiled from like what's actually okay. Um, <laughs> this is the kind of story that describes with complete earnestness this climactic battle like so. Quote, it was like Yoda versus Palpatine, Gandalf versus Saruman, and Neo versus Agent Smith all rolled into one epic clash of the Titans. <laughs> that was a great sentence. <laughs> that myopic focus on references causes the second broad problem with RP2 story telling. Ironically, given that Wade sometimes reflects on how his obsession with the Oasis prevents him from enjoying the real world, the story follows in its protagonist's footsteps. The plot frequently forgets about the real world, too. Although the first book was also centered in the Oasis, it maintained a deft balance by frequently leaving the VR arena to world build and show the progression of time. The most entertaining sequence, in my opinion, doesn't involve the Oasis at all, but rather Wade's clever execution of a scheme in the real world made all the more tense because he's forced to rely on his own person rather than an avatar in a simulated environment. I have to say, that was probably my favorite sequence of the movie as well. This is my own personal parenthetical. Um, yeah. This is the same principle by which the best Black Mirror episodes, your San Junipero and Be Right Backs, ground their futuristic tech in the people who use and experience it without giving anything away. Um, the San Junipero uh, comparison is particularly unflattering to RP2. Sci-fi stories are far more interesting when they explore the societal effects of a given piece of technology rather than merely marvel at the technology itself. 
RP2 lacks this sort of relatable grounding. Klein packs almost all of the sequel into the Oasis, so much so that he has a new plot mechanism that prevents the characters from taking breaks and visiting the real world. So while he thoroughly explores the implications of new technological advancements in the simulation, the real world ripples are far less developed. In one particularly unsettling paragraph, Wade notes that his company has supplied the government with police robots, which boost safety because, quote, their programming and their operational fail-safes prevented them from harming anyone in the line of duty. Yet at other points in the story, such tech is easily compromised. And Wade himself notes his fears of robots rebelling against their creators. Quote, probably because I'd seen too many robot uprising movies, he says. (laughs) The tension between those two strands, and between the book's broader utopian view of technology and dystopian view of the actual world, goes unaddressed. Elsewhere, the narration edges towards societal commentary, only to veer away before actually arriving at a profound conclusion. Wade's company, and the protagonist himself, steals consumers' data and spies on their homes, builds and controls its own police force, simultaneously attacks its critics while lying to its entire user base, and all this malfeasance is curious, curiously forgotten once the plot gets going and the quest begins. <laughs> <laughs> Global warming and income inequality are concerns right up until a planet devoted to John Hughes' filmography needs exploring, and then never again. Klein's long-running problems with writing well-rounded female characters persists as well. And if any reader is searching for a nuanced look at a society overcome by nostalgia, unable unable to create new cultural touchstones of its own, the tricky balance of embracing the past and forging a different future, well, this isn't that kind of story. Only Only once does a character question the value of, quote, picking through the wreckage of a past generation's nostalgia, and his argument's ignored because he's a villain. This limited focus also harms character development. The first book employs varied pacing. Wade saw some clues instantaneously, but others take him months to decipher. Time passes as he works on his quest and carries on relationships. He changes as a person from start to finish. RP2 quests effectively come with a short countdown clock, meaning the main characters must condense all their growth into a single half day. The effect is a 366-page novel that feels uncomfortably like a speedrun of its own plot, still concerned with reaching arbitrary goals that it doesn't bother to survey the world in the meantime. But the world's a reason to consume the story in the first place. The first book had its issues, but it still was a fun romp because of the imagination in its creation. Here, that imagination is largely recycled and lacking the sort of necessary familiar footholds readers of any fantasy or sci-fi story need when entering a fictional realm. That staleness, that's S-T-A-L-E, might not stop another adaptation... <laughs> That's... The, the RP1 movie directed by Steven Spielberg grows $583 million at the worldwide uh, at the worldwide box office, which placed it just behind a Harry Potter movie and a Marvel movie on the 2018 leaderboard. Klein has said he consulted with Spielberg while crafting the sequel and thanks the director in the acknowledgement section. Much like this story, Hollywood loves pre-existing IP and Hollywood loves a sequel, so a Ready Player 2 movie announcement would seem imminent. But at that point, the story might resemble a copy of a copy of a copy, each successive entry degrading the sharpness and clarity that defined the first. A successful sequel can't work as a mere rehash of its predecessor. It needs, refre- it needs freshness and an expansion of the fictional world with new challenges and characters. Given its relationship to old movies, the Ready Player Verse should know this better than anyone. I, uh, I will say, uh, I, I do have, I had those fears from, like I said, from the prologue. Um, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it. It just seems like something that I'll, I'll have fun reading. Uh, that being said, I don't want to give him the credit up front, but that sounds almost intentional as a reference and a reference and a reference to be doing a speed run and to be doing like 
the choppy sequel and to be doing what seems like a port of another game. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny. Uh, it could be that that was the intention and it is just a piece, like an art piece. Like I, I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying the fact that they were able to break it down that way to not question that that's the intention. It seems like is a, maybe a miss. Yeah. It's, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing either way. I'm just saying that there's a chance based on how deep the references go that it in itself is a reference. Yeah, I get it. That's sort of, it's almost trying to strike that nearly impossible balance of 22 Jump Street. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, they reference the joke throughout. Mm -hmm. It's not every joke they make, but they do it plenty where it's like, okay, we're breaking the fourth wall to tell you, guys, we get it. This is intentional. Yeah, and if you we moved across the street. Yeah, if you don't do that, yeah, sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's a yeah. little bit more implicit. When you don't have that level of explicitness, which is dangerous in its own self because it, it kind of becomes corny when you're that level of fourth wall breaking. It's right. Some of what doesn't work in the Deadpool movies, especially the sequel, um, is mm. that that's a tough act to follow. Like it's tough to execute yeah. right the first time and then to do it a second time poking fun at the first time, which is poking fun at another thing that that chain becomes very tenuous. Yeah. And so I agree. That's, I think why you find that the things are so explicit in 22 jump street and Deadpool two, that mm-hmm. I still feel like they should have, uh, it's such a failing that they didn't call it the untitled Deadpool sequel. Like, because that in yeah. and of itself is the meta joke that you need to have to show that we're having fun at our own expense in addition to everything else. Right. And I, and this is me at arm's length, not having read the book at all. Sure. Feels yeah. like there's not what's happening in this. Like I, I oh, that's, like, that's totally fair. And I would say that like, I'm just, I, I don't, after reading it, I don't know that I would even feel that that were the case. I'm just saying that that would be pretty interesting if that were the, the point. And sure. like to read, uh, criticism of the work, like let, let's say you're him, and that was the idea to read criticism of the work in this way. You'd probably get a nice chuckle out of it. Like, sure. <laughs> I just don't like that as a like com- commercial and artistic venture. I don't think I do either. Yeah, it yeah. feels I'm like that's a slap. It. In Let's the be very clear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like you exist because of the goodwill of your fans, or so don't slap them mm. in the face. Um. And just based on what I've seen, I didn't obviously didn't read the book, the first book, but I saw the the first movie. We we enjoyed together. If enjoyed is the right word, nerd porn auteur. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was was that that was was that on a holiday episode? That was an Easter episode. Was that an Easter I episode. I can remember if it was that or if it was I think so. Honey, who do stuff that was in the Easter episode. No, that I'm pretty sure was unfortunately something that I had to endure in this office by myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, because they were around the same time. Actually, that might have been an Easter thing too. I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know. But I just but, don't uh, know if that person is clever enough to actually do the meta joke of this is sure. the speed run commentary on the nature of sequels. Right. I, I don't know either. I just think I think it's something worth considering. Um, and like I said, I don't say that I would like that. I just think it's a it's an interesting notion. It's certainly an interesting thing uh, to consider. I am, while they'll most likely based on the success, I assume there'll be a second film. Um, the changes that were made to the first film were 
great. It worked really well on screen, and I assume that they'll probably do something similar, if that, similar changes if they do a second one. I really did enjoy Armada, hmm. and I'm hoping that that becomes a movie one day, because that, that book is made for the screen. Like It's basically, it encapsulates the best parts of Independence Day and those types of movies in... And obviously reference filled as usual, but like it would, that would be fun to see adapted as well. Um, I really enjoyed Armada, but I'm looking forward to, to getting into this one uh, just because I, it's just like, I, I, I am fully aware of what they're trying to do with the book. And like you said, your weaponized nostalgia. I'm aware of it. I acknowledge it. I accept it. See, that's that <laughs> my take on this sort of, on this sort of thing. And I, I feel like I've, at this point, pretty well explained that over the course of the run of the yeah. show. But for our new Chinese listeners, I just want to say, uh, if you go into this... They're not new. They're our fan base. <laughs> I just say new because all of a sudden our listenership has skyrocketed. And it's a couple months after that specific episode when we did The Wandering Earth. So, um, regardless... Uh, <laughs> uh, if you, if you, and that's the anyone you, not just you, Anthony, it's you, anyone. Mm. If you are enjoying a piece of work with both eyes open, if you know what it is and are appreciating it for what it is, I have no issues. Because yeah. having that knowledge, you have the proper context for where what it is and where it is in the world. The problem is... I find, and this is maybe not totally fair of me, this is kind of anecdotal, I find that that tends to not be the case for the majority of people, where Mm -hmm. people will engage with a piece of work like these two books, whatever, uh, totally at the surface value, and hold it up as something that it isn't. Uh, It's the same type of, like, like if you love reality television, it's not on the equivalent of, like, great pieces of work of television, like, just throw out something like a Breaking Bad or whatever. But if you know, like, no, this is garbage. I just need garbage right now. By all means, eat the garbage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if that's what's making yeah. you happy, just don't tell me it's prime rib. Sure. Like, if, if that's what you want and you know that's what it is, we have no issues. You please enjoy it to your heart's content. I want you to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's totally fair. I, uh, which isn't called this garbage. I'm just like, you yeah. know, like, no, no, I know, I, 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 I follow you, and I, 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 for the most part, I, I agree with that. Um, enjoy what you enjoy, as long as it's not at the expense of others. That's all. Yeah, that's 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 my that's my general stance. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a corollary to what I'm saying, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, my, my whole thing is enjoy what you are enjoying. Just be sure that you know what it is that you're engaging with. You know what I mean? Like just make sure that you understand what the thing is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Fair. What's your, uh, what's your news? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that didn't, that didn't upset me um, so much. I thought it was going to be, it sounded like it was going to be worse news than that. Well, I but, figured uh, just based on so the kind of the context, but I also kind of figured you would know that because it, like, well, like I already said, you, you know what the first one was. So, like we're oh, on yeah. the same page. I uh, to be clear, I probably would have been done with the second one had it not been for where we're at this week. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'll I'll be done with it before the year's out, most likely if I'm able to actually sit down with it sure. for like twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so my new is this is from a few days ago. This is on Collider. I don't know if this was the original story or not, 
Um, but it was the most. Oh, this game! I hate this game. It was the where highest, did this story? It was come the from? highest level of credibility <laughs> of story. So I went with that one. That's generally when I can't find the first. Okay. I find the highest level of credibility. Not that this is like deep in the weeds or anything like that. Just like in the sense of like it's probably closest to the source. So if not, it'll reference it. the direct work. Um, for this, so this was on Collider. Um, Alex Garland working on a low budget horror movie set in the UK. The okay, I heard this too. Okay. Uh, the director has abandoned his idea for a TV series about the ineffectual state of protests following the powerful events of this summer. Uh, now that the fans have had a chance to catch up with Alex Garland's sci-fi series devs, the British filmmaker is prepping his next feature, and I'm already excited. Oh, there you go. It was on, the original story was on Empire. Empire reports that Garland wrote and will, and will direct a low-budget horror movie that will be set in the UK. There's no title yet, and Garland is still lining up financing. But he's hoping to start production this coming spring or summer, depending on cast availability. I wrote a low-budget horror movie set in the UK. I don't know if it's unrealistic or not. Always at this particular (laughs) moment. A film always feels unrealistic, but then somehow it works out. Garland is the acclaimed screenwriter behind Danny Boyle's 28 Days Later and Sunshine, as well as Dread and Never Let Me Go. He made his directorial debut with 2014 thriller Ex Machina, starring Donald Gleeson, Alicia Vikander, and Oscar Isaac, before moving on to the sci-fi horror movie. Annihilation, starring Natalie Portman and Isaac. (laughs) The Oscar-nominated writer has been planning a new TV series about the ineffectual and surface-level state of protests in recent years, but that idea went out the window following the events of the summer when millions of people around the world took to the streets in support of Black Lives Matter following the death of George Floyd. At some point, with civil disobedience, you have to start smashing stuff up. So I was writing about the need to smash stuff up. But once he saw the palpable anger that was alive in the streets of both major cities and small towns, he felt there was no need for the series, which could have featured several actors from devs. So this is what we had heard originally from when time yeah. was that he was planning on writing another show and that they were all going to come back and work together on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is where I was saying good news, bad news. That's a really, uh, that's an emotionally mature move, I feel. Oh, for sure. To be able to see this thing like, oh, wow, I was writing this thing and I was wrong. Yeah. Um. So the bad news is it seems like that whole idea of running back that cast together on a new show is dead, at least for now. There's nothing to say they couldn't sure. revisit in a couple of years, but um, the good news is he's working on a movie. <laughs> yeah, take it. Um, I thought, so now that... We can go see that movie in a movie theater eventually when it comes out. You, me, and other guy. <laughs> that other guy. We gotta find that guy and watch the movie. Which is hey! Hey! Hey, movie guy. <laughs> hey, it's that one guy. Also... Come back with us and go on the show because we got to know about you. Wow, can you imagine having money? <laughs> so I, I thought, so now what I'm writing is pointless in a good way. I almost felt glad, weirdly. That's when Garland decided to pivot to the new horror movie. Um, and then this is just nice. kind of more like editorial stuff from the person who wrote the thing. But that was the, the, the key details there. Uh, he's doing a movie, and it'll come out sometime in the next year or three, um, pending availability <laughs> of like vaccines and the world not ending. Sure, sure, that tracks. Uh, awesome, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, come back from. I, I think I'm going to need uh, more lighthearted things though when we come back to the movies before I dive into that. So that they're probably. It seems like there might be like a six month to a year buffer before that is what hits my face. Hey, listen, so. we know that there are a bunch of movies that exist that That's we right. will be able to watch, and like. We're going to get some Marvel stuff in there. I just want to go to the movies for a week straight. <laughs> like, just sit there and just watch everything. I need to bring back Movie Pass just for that. Oh, man. Did you see that no. thing I sent in the Slack? Was it last week or the other uh, day about Movie Pass? I saw that something popped up with a mention of it. What was it about? 
Oh, it was. <laughs> it had to do with. It was kind of like a a final postmortem on Movie Pass and like what like like someone was just kind of like ruminating on like the idea of hey guys remember that thing that it was like the stupidest business decision of like the stupidest business model of all time yeah. but the most amazing customer like like centric thing ever and how ultimately it wasn't ever about us being able to see as many movies as possible it was about trying to get together a ton of movie data to sell to movie studios to find out what people wanted to watch and how they use that data to make the movie gaudy <laughs> amazing oh my god that uh i love that we had like a 10 episode stretch where it would feel like it was that was when we were seeing a movie a week the, and we the weekly movie pass update hey yeah. it worked did it work week? yeah that's it that was it oh man that was that was really funny i was like i was so weary about that because i think it was like debit cardy where i think like it had to be linked to your actual checking account which is not the best situation, no. Uh, especially with a fly by night operation such as literally. <laughs> the first time that that's been a truly accurate statement since that phrase was coined like 150 years ago. <laughs> it's like, oh, but on this week's episode, Movie Pass doesn't work. Also, my identity was stolen. <laughs> To, to make use of MoviePass. I know you and Mike, hey Mike, um, I know you and Mike loved MoviePass. Uh, you guys were also sure. in, like places where it was super viable. Where That's right. Yeah, my theater accepted it. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's a big, that was a big move. <laughs> that was a big thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate Cinemark's movie club. What do they call this? I, I appreciate that a little bit more. Oh, it's more realistic. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but Cool. You have any other news and nuggets, or shall we get into some fun and games? Um, I think that's it. Other than I'm sitting next to the pool table we just got. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's fun. Solid. We played way too much pool last night. So. Awesome. Well, with that, let's get into some news and nuggets. I've got two entries into news and nuggets this week. Fun and- oh. You said news and nuggets, fun and games, right? Yeah, I did. Fun <laughs> and games, not news and nuggets. I've got two entries into fun and games this week. That's why I was confused. There's usually only one thing for fun and games. Let's go with that. Uh, this first one is this thing I came across that's uh, it was from BuzzFeed. 32 random as all heck movie. This is the title, so bear with me. 32 random as all heck movie quotes people still use in everyday conversations. I was like, huh, I'll bite. Yeah, I figured um, it was the title because you would never say random as all heck. That's right. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. And also I was like, uh... I like have a love hate relationship. There's some funny things with BuzzFeed, but at the end of the day, it's 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 like Ready Player One. I know what you want. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's it's a thing with the most pointless and like kitschy, like clickbait articles, yeah, and also deep so, penetrating journalism and BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed news, which I'll never understand how those two. Things I, are what, whatever. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna go through these, and the reason why is like, I, I opened it up and I started scrolling through it this morning, and I only got like maybe halfway through the list, and I was like, oh, let me do this with Al because it'll be more fun, um, because I was like, yes. Definitely not. Nobody uses that. Nobody ever says that. Nobody said that. Nobody even remembers that from that movie. This, so there's a this, lot of that. Is this because on. we played the movie quote drinking game for your sister's birthday? Basically. So the first one, If you should we do it that way? Should I say the quote and you can tell me what movie it's from and then we can discuss whether or not it is actually used? Uh, yeah, we might as well. So wait, wait, are okay. they like holding out that all of these quotes are like quotable in everyday life type of thing? 
They are random as heck movie quotes people still use in everyday conversations. Yeah, so they're doing that like thing where it's like, you know, like people still do like the bore, like my wife, like, you know, and like all yes, 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 like, exactly. All of those sorts of things. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So first we have, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? That's from one of the rush hours, the first one. Yes, that is correct. That is one um, that people use. That is that that's fair. I would also agree with that. Probably less uh, now, and- but like definitely probably ten years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number two, am I tur- am I not turtly enough for the Turtle Club? That is from Master of Disguise. I'm ashamed to admit that I know that. Yep. Um, I have False heard stuff. that quote used, so other people have seen no. that movie. Really? Okay. I mean, not many what, times. Used today in everyday conversation? Not Certainly not every day. I have heard yeah. it referenced before. Strike it from the list. Um, that one I don't. No, I'm, I'm striking that one from the list. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I disagree; it should not be on the list. We should. Was, we're gonna. We're gonna take the ones off that don't. That shouldn't be here. Number three, Peachy Keen Jelly Bean. That's from a movie. That yeah yeah. I've I have the same I have the same reaction. I've heard my mom say Peachy Keen. I don't know what it's from. That that makes sense. I've said this phrase numerous times. Uh, it's from Greece. I've seen that movie many times. I don't recall that line. I can confirm that it is used in everyday conversation. I can't confirm that it's from Greece. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're doing it, Peter. That's from Hook. That is from Hook. Will you allow it? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in time, you'll die, and I'll come to your funeral in a red dress. I have no idea. That is from Moonstruck, 1987, and it is not used in any conversation. No, and I would know because that's like my parents' favorite movie. And so if they uh, if it was used in conversation, I would have heard it. That's right. Uh, that's too damn bad. That seems overly generic, but okay. That does seem overly generic. To, to claim that that's from Holes seems wrong. That's just, that is from everyday conversation and was used in the movie Holes. Yes, that's, that's again, <laughs> before the horse. That's right. That's right. Uh, this one I can confirm. Potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. 100%. I say that on a weekly basis. Yeah, I've heard that so many times, and I have heard other people say it as well. It's from Lord of the Rings, the two towers, and that, uh, that's it. That's actually hilarious. That's from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. <laughs> That's right. And I know because I, while I didn't see that line, I was watching a clip from that whole scene with Chris Evans. And I think that we, we established, right? That was the moment where Chris Evans finally turned for you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can you do a grind? Agree, agree that that's used in everyday... <laughs> I, I feel like that that's used in everyday life, but it's not because it was in the movie. That may be true. Yeah. If, if I ever use it, though, I can assure you it's from the movie. Sure. These sweatpants are all that fits me right now. Uh, the only thing sweatpants that really I can think of right now is forgetting Sarah Marshall, but that's not from that. No, it's from Mean Girls, and uh, it oh, is used yeah. a lot in like memes and stuff like that. I don't think I've actually heard people say it out loud. Though. Yeah, no, okay, I'll, I'll allow that one. Yeah, that's when she's when she's trying to get them fat with those weird Swedish yeah. like the, the bar, yeah. bars. Um. Hate, 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 double hate, loathe entirely. Well, giving the delivery definitely helped. That was the Carrie Grinch, right? That's correct. Um, uh, kind of confirmed. Used in everyday conversation. I don't know that I've me. ever heard it used <laughs> in conversation, but I wouldn't rule it out as being a possibility. Uh, this is number 11 and should probably be number one, and that's hold on to your butts. <laughs> Which I'm Classic pretty sure... Well. 
uh, two jobs ago, we had a built-in Slack emoji that was holding <laughs> on to your butt. <laughs> that was you no know, him with the cig- with the cigar hanging, a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Didn't you guys also emoji one of your coworkers? I mean, I'm emojied face palming. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Uh, there's so much room for activities. Step Brothers, that 100 percent is used, and like 400 other lines from that movie. Uh, well, that's just lazy writing. That sounds familiar, but I'm having trouble placing it. That's Deadpool 2. Mm. Okay. I feel like we don't say that specifically, but the uh, the spirit of it is used. Yes. A lot. Especially when we say, do better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Christmas, and we're all in misery. That is obviously from Christmas Vacation. I was watching that the other day. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. we, I used that line at dinner last night. Okay. All right. I have a big head and little arms, and I don't think this plan was very well thought out. I don't know. That's from Meet the Robinsons. Don't really know why it's on this list. Doubt that anybody ever says that. I never saw the movie, so. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. They just don't. That one sounds familiar, but I don't know. That's from Legally Blonde. That's a really silly line. I like that one. Uh, Uh, I don't don't think that's an everyday conversation one, though. It's it's not. Oh, look, another glorious morning. Makes me sick. (laughs) <laughs> is that Hocus Pocus? That is Hocus Pocus. I'll allow that one. Yes. I think I have heard uh, someone use that line before. You gave me a fright. Also seems kind of generic, but I don't... Very know. generic. They're claiming that this is from The Parent Trap, and while I agree, um, because I've seen that movie a lot... It's been a uh, while, but I have seen it many times. I, I don't know that that's used. Uh, good one, Goyle. From Harry Potter? And the Chamber of Secrets. Yes. To be very specific. And uh, no, I've yeah. never heard anyone no. use that. Like, good People one, don't say that. sure. Good one, right. Goyle, no. Uh, you're killing me, Smalls. Maybe that's, that should probably be number two on the list. Yeah, that that's a very used. common yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, did you hear that? They don't even have dental. Oh, I know that. What is that from? <laughs> what is that from? I don't remember. Shrek 2. Oh, yeah. Okay. Another Nine movie I've seen that many times and not for many years. Once you know what you like, well, there you are. I don't know. That's from Moana. I never saw it. Insightful, one. not used. Uh, yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> Great line coming up. You're tacky and I hate you. Oh. School of Rock? <laughs> School of Rock, yes. Uh, should be used more. <laughs> yes, I have heard it used, not used super frequently. Where we're going, we won't need eyes to see. I don't remember. Yeah, that's Event Horizon, and it's not said. If you wanted to replace oh, that with yeah. where we're going, we don't need for us. Yeah, that <laughs> one, eminently more quotable and recognizable. Yeah. When you think of garbage, think of Akeem. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is that from? That's from Coming to America. Oh, yeah, that's right. Not said in any conversation. No. Why? But a great line. It's... Uh, it's not a tumor. <laughs> Kindergarten cop. Oh, by the way, uh, I yeah. keep forgetting to mention this to you. Um, in the, and by I say keep forgetting, I mean in the last like fourteen hours. Um, hmm. You need to listen to this week's Cinephobe because it's on the last action hero. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> in now, you see that evil will always triumph because good it's is dumb. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love Spaceballs. Um, I, 
I've used other lines from that movie, but not that one. Nor have I ever heard yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I would like to remember that one. Yes. Uh, this one is great. Uh, this one made me chuckle. I've never said it. I want to start saying it. I don't think you'll get this one because I'm not certain you've seen the movie. But that must be Nigel with the Brie. No, I don't think I know that one. It's from 10 Things I Hate About You? No, I never saw it. The context is kind of funny. Um, Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Is that Willy Wonka by way of William Shakespeare? No, that's that's the witch and uh, false. Never said. Nobody ever says that. No. By all means, move at a glacial pace. That's you know that's one. I don't know what that's. You might, you, the, the Devil Wears Prada. Oh, I've never saw all of that. Ah, yeah, it's a good movie. Uh, that's funny. I like that line. I, uh, another one that I'd like to incorporate. Uh, this one's great. I would say this if I remembered where the brother's from. My brother came all the way out here from Scottsdale, Arizona, and you're not going to sing for him? We can confirm that number 32, maybe this should actually be number one, because not only is it said in everyday conversation, we've said it in everyday conversation. We've brought it up recently on the show. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it plays <laughs> off for him. <laughs> yeah, that one and many others have also been uh, used pretty frequently in conversation. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, that was fun. That was a uh, that was just a random a random thing. But I do have I do have a a more traditional fun and game for you. Um, however, the browser just crashed, and I need to open it again. We are having a um, lot of technical difficulties. Today. Oh, what do you know? This one's from BuzzFeed as well. BuzzFeed. We know what you are. That, I think that's what we're going to have to do every time we use it. I don't it. like that. It reminds me of Succession when they're com- They have this whole thing about there's a scandal involving people, uh, the, the company listening in on people's private conversations and like through their computer or phone or whatever. And they're obviously not supposed to be doing that. And at the same time, they were trying to come up with a slogan about how they were reaching out to their customers to be more customer friendly. And the slogan was, we hear you. <laughs> and, nice. and they're like we can't use this slogan anymore because there's a scandal involving us listening in on private conversations and so they're trying to like oh shit we already like okayed the slogan they're like i don't think we can come up with a new one is there a way for us to tweak it and it was like we they're like how about we're here for you they're like no no it's too much of a change they're like how about this we here for you what that doesn't make any sense (laughs) oh my god all right well this this fun and games is titled which boogie nights character is your kindred spirit oh uh so al first up pick a place to have sex in a theater on a yacht in a jacuzzi at a club disneyland on a beach on a bed on a plane i would not do it on a beach i would not do it uh it doesn't matter i just want love um, I mean, a bed is a pretty great place to have sex. All right, so we'll select that one. Pick a vintage porn film. Wild Horses, The Penetration of El Rio, Unnatural Phenomenon, and Amazing Orgasms, Robin Head, <laughs> Blue Vanities, James Band Contra Osex 69. Oh, nice. Cockfights. <laughs> Geracula filet of breast. <laughs> um, I am not familiar with any of these, so I'm going to go with Robin Head. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was pretty great. 
Pick a donut. <laughs> uh, we've got a chocolate glaze with sprinkles. We have a French cruller. We have a purple glaze. I don't know what flavor that is. We have a uh, we have a, a traditional donut. We got a jelly filled. We have a strawberry glaze. Uh, we have a marble glazed, an apple fritter. Let's go with the marble glaze. So it's the prettiest one. That was it. That was the whole quiz. What? <laughs> All right. Well, you got Buckswope. All you want to do is fit in and live a happy life. You have dreams and you'll do anything to fulfill them. You're not asking for much, just enough to keep you and your loved ones happy. While you're a good person deep down, you're not afraid to go to dark places to get what you want. It's all about love. Now, I have a question. Do all of these lead to being Buck because he's the only character that does anything involving donuts in the fucking movie? That's a great question. Should I go through it again? (laughs) Well, it's only two questions. <laughs> That's a great question. That's a good point. Uh, I'm going to pick Disneyland. Uh, the cockfights. Oh, sorry. Three questions. And uh, the apple fritter. Oh, boy. Uh, you got Rahad Jackson. Who's that? You're one crazy-ass mofo. That is all. Who is Rahad Jackson? That is, that is uh, Al, Al, uh, Alfred Molina. Is that his name? Alfred Molina. Dr. Al- he was in this movie? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Why do I not remember him being in this movie? Uh, silver bathrobe, open, red underwear, the- Russian roulette. Okay, so here's the- <laughs> here's the thing about that scene. I was watching that like an hour before we started recording. Uh huh. I was here in the basement. My dad and my brother were playing pool behind me, and so they had all the lights on in the basement, and I couldn't tell that was Alfred Molina. Okay. And I was like, that guy's got to be someone because of the, just the nature of movie making. Yeah. But I can't tell we're who like, it is. It's a late stage introduction of a character who's going to be on screen for 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's somebody big. I was like, this has got to be someone, but I don't recognize him behind that ridiculous mop of hair. Not that I should be Fair. judging anyone's hair at the moment. And that ridiculous mustache. But through the haze of like watching a projection screen on fully lit basement of an older movie, and he's like super manic in that scene, I had no idea that was Alpha Molina. That's 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 fair. Well, with fun again behind us and Alfred Molina in the bag, <laughs> let, let, let's get into our flick of the week. Boogie Nights, released in 1997, rated R in the two-hour and 35-minute runtime. Your IMDb synopsis. Back when sex was safe, pleasure was a business, and business was boom. An idealistic porn producer aspires to elevate his craft to an art when he discovers a hot young talent. Al, why don't you kick us off with your tweet like this? <laughs> hot young talent. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. A fascinating, compelling, and terribly sad look at incredibly unique people at an incredibly unique time. Dark, grimy, drug-fueled, and yet hopeful? <laughs> 7.5 out of 10. Oh, nice, nice. All right. That's, uh, <laughs> I like that. A late 70s, early 80s period piece that goes balls deep into a taboo industry yeah. with an unexpected level of character depth and development. Rest in peace, donut guy. 8 out of 10. <laughs> I'm sorry that I booed the middle of your. Uh, it to be it's okay. It absolutely did. Uh, I'd honestly be upset if you didn't. 
I, I don't mean to, to disrespect the sanctity of the Tweetlink review, but boo. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I gotta say, going in, I, I knew of the movie. I had zero context. Um, I mean, I knew it was about porn. I didn't even know that. Okay. No, I knew that part of it. I knew it was about porn in the same <laughs> Um, okay. So I had more context than you, I guess. Uh, sure. I want to start doing a thing that we've done very inconsistently. Sure. Super easy thing to do. Nominated for three Oscars. Best actor mm-hmm. in a supporting role, Burt Reynolds. Best actress uh-huh. in a supporting role, Julianne Moore. Best writing, screenplay, screenplay di- written directly for the screen, Paul Thomas Anderson. That's right. Nice, simple little thing. I just want to start doing that from now on. Because I agree. Yeah, let's, uh, we can get those in there for sure. I feel like we're a little bit unfocused with in regards to that because sometimes it comes out like, person nominated for an oscar yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of awards is the sucker up for uh granted there's gonna be plenty of movies that we do that are up for nothing sure <laughs> uh, but the point is when it is i just want to like it's just it's a very simple i and t to dot it can be my responsibility i don't mind doing it every time oh that's it is that's, that's great case. Uh, I, I like that realized uh, i was i don't know what made me think about it somewhat recently where i was just like we could be doing that better <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure I, I will say uh that this dovetails nicely into my first note Nominated writer, you said, correct? Yeah, I don't or think he won for any of those. It's just a nomination. Not nominated writer, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, if this movie did anything, it made me hate Phantom Thread more. It's funny you say that because I have a very important note on that as well that we should, might as well get pre-spoilers because... No, continue with your thought and then I'll do mine, so... Okay, yeah. Uh, the, the idea being that this movie is good. Like, it's well-written. The characters are well-defined. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at. Where And the, the funny <laughs> thing was, this is a long movie. So I think it was two, yeah. two hours, 45 minutes runtime. Um, 2.35, yeah. Or 2.35. Sorry, it was 2.45 on my recording. So, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. A couple minutes before and after. Um, yeah. After about 45 minutes, I said, oh, this is why people think Paul Thomas Anderson's a good movie maker. Because, <laughs> like... Uh, <laughs> Because this is a well-structured movie with great development, and actual every single character has depth and an entire storyline behind. So I have a little blurb I'm going to read to you that I kind of just off the cuff came up with. You know, let's call it about oh three hours ago when I had okay. just recently finished the movie. I had watched all but the last half hour of it up until now. Um, I can't relate to an irascible prick of a savant dressmaker, and I can't hardly tell what's going on in her advice. <laughs> But a bunch of people trying to make their way in the world and grabbing a little corner for themselves, a bunch of outcasts with their triumphs and failures bonding into a fucked up family. Mm -hmm. I don't need to possess a 13 inch cock to relate to that. (laughs) That's a great point. Uh, So, and I always say that because that was at the very end when when he's reading his lines for Brock Landers, but um, while, while watching this movie and juxtaposing it against Inherent Vice and Phantom Thread, yeah. the only other movies of his that I've seen. I, there, it was, it, I put it in my Twitter review, it was compelling. Um, yeah. I, I'm not in porn, I never will be. I am thoroughly mediocre in that department. And so, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Like, it, it is what it is. The, the thing about being average is most people are like that. And so, like, I'm good. Um, and I don't aspire <laughs> to the lifestyle, even if I could. Yeah, and I'll never live that. I've never done way too much cocaine, and I never sure. will. So, like, but I can uh. understand the human struggles of the 
in the quiet moments between that. And I can That's see right. people dealing with their personal and professional problems, even if my professional problem isn't how do I get this erection right now? Um, mm. I can understand being really good at something and then struggling with the thing that you used to be good at and how that can torture your entire psyche that affects other parts of your life. Those are yeah. real human things. Well, that, that was the thing, right? They were all dealing with, with regular old issues, but you were layering that on top of a very strange lifestyle where they can't relate to anybody but the group that they're with. And that's really good writing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And it's great. It's what makes me so frustrated with the people who were like, when, like, listen, you want to appreciate some of the, the nitty gritty filmmaking stuff about Phantom Thread? Be my guest. I'm not qualified to have that conversation, but I can mm. talk about script and I could talk about plot and I could talk about character and those things are lacking in the two other movies I mentioned. I haven't seen all of them. I'd still really like to see the master. I've always been interested by that one. Sure. But the Phantom Thread, it's I That's mean as talk about being more niche. Listen, 70 porn stars as niche as you can go and yet somehow 50s British dressmakers even more so. <laughs> and when you take the one singular character who is the greatest in the world, knows he's the greatest in the world, will tell you it all turns he's the greatest in the world, and then is just a prick at all times. That's not interesting. That's not compelling. That's not relatable in any way to any no. person. This is a person so separate from reality in all phases that it requires, spoiler alert, his love interest to poison him to, bring him, to cut him down a notch. And for him to say, I am so incapable of self-regulating that I require you to periodically poison me to bring me right. back to Earth. That is so beyond unrelatable as to be totally ineffable. There are no words to describe right. how far from reality. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're vocalizing the things that I couldn't, but everything that I feel about that movie. <laughs> because I was so... I was, I was Madeline Kahn in Clue watching that movie. I just flames on the side of my face, <laughs> heaving. <laughs> and, and honestly, like I watched the movie. I was really intrigued by Inherent Vice. I watched it. I still don't know what the fuck it was about. I never saw it. I, I have no idea. It's like the structure of the movie is so odd. And like I've watched Memento. I've watched Cloud Atlas. I've watched Mr. Nobody, I've watched a million other movies that play around with structure and time and all of that sort of mm -hmm. stuff and fucking the devil all the time and and <laughs> all like all those things, like, <laughs> The Witcher, like whatever. And I've I i do not yeah. have a problem following along, and I could not no. follow that movie. Oh, it was okay. It was a uh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I it's like I said. I, and that's, I think that's, it makes me feel even better. It makes me also feel, I feel even more validated in my hatred for the Phantom Thread and the fact that I could see a movie that he did that I do think is very good and be like, that other one is garbage, right? Like, yeah. it is garbage. No, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, we talked about it at the time, right? Like, the three leads or the two and a half leads, the performances two were great. Right. Well, because his yeah. sister was technically yeah. kind of, like, so. She had, like, ten minutes of screen time. Yeah, so the, the performances were great, and, like, yeah. that's fine. So it's why I'm not going to be like, oh, it's, the, like, the most garbage. Like, there is value to be mined from it, even if the movie's not for mm -hmm. me. And that was yeah, what like, I said. They, they were great. They were good performances with garbage material. Yeah, I mean, like some like the lines were well written, but like the 
the actual crafting of the movie itself. Like there's nothing enjoyable about it. Like there's nothing to come like to speak to wanting to come back and watch it again. Like there's nothing, no, no. nothing like that. I feels like needs to be critically interrogated. And honestly, hate it. Um, I hate it so much. No, like I said, <laughs> there, I'm sure there's someone who's like been to film school or made movies who sure. can point out things. And like that, that's just above my pay grade. Like I can admit that my failings of that, but as far as watching a movie and talking about a movie, there's not a lot to talk about with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie and maybe the maybe it benefits from widening its scope to like more of an ensemble. Like obviously it's about Mark Wahlberg's character, Dirk, right? Like, but we get a lot of time spent with the other characters, some more than others, well, and uh, none of them are one note. All of them feel like that's human the, beings. Yes. That's so okay. So here's my favorite part about this. This the movie does play with structure a bit without without like Without actually doing it, in that way that it plays it, a structure, but it hints at it hints at Mark Warb- Dirk Diggler's Mark Wahlberg, Eddie, whatever, being the main character by the way that it's structured as far like from the beginning of the movie, right? And total but, screen time. Uh, I yeah, and total sure total screen time, but the it's just it's almost to check that box of like yeah okay if we have to put it on paper the movie's about this guy that's going through this thing but like you said we give all the other characters so much time and depth and uh they're well written they're so well performed that like they they're more interesting than him yeah uh, yeah he is by far the least interesting character until the final act of the movie and i feel it, it's almost funny it's like it's like he's the character that's on screen to get the movie greenlit because everything else is what it's, it seems like is what he wanted to do. Well, it's a funny thing where it's not often that your lead is a plot device. Yeah. <laughs> but he is, and which again is a credit to Paul Thomas Anderson. And I'm just wondering yeah. what happened. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is, remember we were talking about a few weeks ago when we were doing, or a couple months ago, I guess now, when we were doing Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, when we were trying to figure yeah. out at what point Al Pacino became whatever he is now. And like, yeah. I'm still struggling to pinpoint the moment in time. And so yeah. without having the full benefit of seeing... seeing At what point did he ooh is, is that... You're going to describe that one will never not get me. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Just like, I, no, it's, it's, it's confusing to me. I get, cause now i got to like go back and look. Because I'm aware of like a handful of his movies. I obviously have only seen three of them. Um, right. I just... I'm so confused. As to what made him be this, mm-hmm. that he what made the him last couple up. of movies he's made. <laughs> yeah, uh, the uh, I, another point of this though, like as far as the structure, we we talked about earlier with with our Ready Player Two uh, reading, the idea of making something to be the thing that you're talking about, or that other people then describe it as, and like that's I, that's kind of what I love about this movie. So we have Jack, who is wants to he's he he wants he has a an appreciation for the art form of film but he's in this adult pornography business and he wants to make the basically like the next great film but via porn yeah right? also one of and the he wants to make a good one of the great names in all of porn history cuz as good as Dirk Diggler is Jack Horner is better yeah, agreed. Uh, but so he's making the idea of this character like wants to make the the next best film, um, the next best porn film, not just a not just a porn movie or porn tape. He wants to make a porn film, and that's what this movie is. 
it's the reverse. It's like he used a film to make a porn versus using a porn to make a film <laughs> to, make, to make a porn. A porn, yeah. That was again the, like the third time I'm doing this. Where wasn't that? That was a Family Guy joke as well. Where they found out Lois was did did porn when she was younger. Yes, and mm-hmm. the priest condemns her and says for making a porn. She goes, "Is yeah. that right? Make a porn." <laughs> Because you always oh, ever, you always say porn like oh. as its own thing or a uh, porno. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one says a porn. <laughs> Jeez, no, I just did. Oh man, that's great. Uh, but no, but you, you, I'm just, you see what I'm saying though. Like, and then I, I was reading a little bit about this, and like, well, I, I don't know how true it was because I couldn't find like the source of the um, of where this information was pulled from. But the idea that he wanted to make the movie. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He wanted to make it uh, over three hours, and he wanted it to be rated NC seventeen, and he couldn't get that to happen with the producers behind it. Yeah, because you don't get the had to settle, you're not going to get the box office. He had to settle for either the rating or the length. Feels like he so settled on neither. No, exactly. So it ended up going with the R rating and taking that as the challenge, but it still came in under three hours. Yeah. Which is just, which is kind of funny. She's like, get out, get out of your own ass. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe, maybe what someone said no. Maybe, yeah, maybe no. Maybe that's why it was good. Yeah, it's like someone's like, you can't. Like somebody reined him in a little bit. Maybe somebody sort of reined him in. On Can the we get this same person to rein in Tarantino just to be like eighty percent less feet? less feet. You just need someone to say no occasionally. But um, 80% of the movie is shot ankles up. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I wanted to... That's going to be our new tagline. Flicks in the sink, ankles up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to get back to Jack Horner for a second yeah. because he was an interesting character. Um, being the porn visionary... Like, I'm sure this is a thing, right? Like in other, the person who's caught up in not where he wants to be and he not just wants to make the most of it, but he wants to transcend it in a way like, like, I feel like I'm really failing here because I know that's like such an archetype in other mediums and I can't like come up with a compelling example of it. Like, you know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, right? Yeah. But it wasn't just that because he cut across the grain of all of the stereotype. Like, sure, there was, like, the drugs and the sex, and yeah, great, whatever. But, like, he didn't feel like a super pervy dude, and I'm no, sure that's not, he, a, like, a fair... Like, I'm sure there are great people in porn. I don't know any of them. I don't know of any of them, but I'm sure there are people who aren't super weird or skeevy in any way, shape, or form. That's probably an unfair stereotype to some extent, right? But he's, like, a deeply, like, caring and compassionate person, ultimately, yes. it feels like. Like very fatherly, but also is going to watch his children fuck. Um, right, like that's a thing that's happening. Um, yeah, and even like specifically manipulate them too, which I guess require you require auditioning. We've heard of the casting couch and all. There's a literal couch in which he casts Dirk Diggler in this movie. <laughs> right, um, which I guess that breaks convention as well. The seventies, what a time. <laughs> what counts? But this guy was a pioneer, and I'm just going to throw this out here, and just going to have to engage with it in whatever level you want to. But sure, did Burt Reynolds invent Bang Bus? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, when they have the scene where they're in the limo uh-huh. and they're going to pick up a random person <laughs> and cast them in a porno in that moment. <laughs> oh my god. It's funny for you to say that when it ends up being one of the most intense and emotional scenes of the movie. Oh, sure. What happens after that, we can definitely talk about. <laughs> In, like, a real sense. And obviously I'm doing this as a joke, but I'm watching that. Not, was... not Jack Corner, not the writers. Burt Reynolds invented it. Yeah, That's no, what you're saying. Not, Paul Thomas Anderson didn't invent this. Burt Reynolds invented <laughs> I'm standing by this. Uh, so, I also, well... Someone find me, chronologically... Something that happened before that to prove that that's a thing. It probably exists. I don't want to hear about it, though. Burt do Reynolds they also know. then have to? Do they then have to prove that it that Burt Reynolds wrote that scene? <laughs> I, I, I don't care. Burt Reynolds, <laughs> Burt Reynolds invented Bengals. Listen, Burt Reynolds. Did he play oh, Heisman in real life? He played college football. He was a quarterback of fucking Florida State. Yeah, he was an iconic movie star, and he invented Bengals. Dude, I, God, what a set of accolades! <laughs> uh, uh, you know what blew me away? This is I was so I was watching and I was like, I don't think I know Burt Reynolds from anything where he was playing a serious role because I feel like I've only seen him in like like one off comedy like set pieces in movies, not actually seen him in something specifically. And man, he's a good actor. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, this is kind of like it feels like what we talked about with the untouchables with Sean Connery, where it's like, why didn't he do more of that? Yeah. And maybe he did. And I'm just not aware of it. I feel like if he did, you would be aware of it. Like he was, maybe. I don't know. Smoking the bandit and Gator and all that shit. Like he wasn't doing a lot of highbrow stuff. Yeah. Like, oh man, he, he, but he really is great in this movie. But yeah. he's he's very believable in the role that he's playing. And like you said, to be able to portray that character of like, how did he come across as not like this sleazy guy? I mean, like and I don't, some of the stuff he does is sleazy. But I, again, I think that's just kind of what happens when you're in like the sway of doing and making porn. And yet he still stands well. I mean, hell, look at the, look at his producer, whatever that guy's name was. The cat, the the colonel, the colonel. That's it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. That, I think that helps you uh, figure out like that he is the good guy. Yeah. Is like putting him uh, like a, a, on the other side of the glass <laughs> of the colonel. Yeah, and and by the way, like letting him test who he is in that moment too, because he can't mm-hmm. say the words. Like he's like, oh, can I? Oh, I can't go that far. Can I point? All right. So there's a thing that I do. Um, this is what I realize. Uh, basically, when I when this happens while I'm watching a movie, it usually gets. It gets somewhere within the 7 to 10 range, usually between the 8 to 10 range for my score. And that is when there's a scene in the movie that makes me say out loud, that's a great scene. <laughs> and, and when he... There's a few of them in this movie. When he's pulling the phone away from his ear and they cut the sound from the other side of the glass, I went... That's a great scene. It was. <laughs> and, I, and, and this movie's an eight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I might have even been able to go slightly higher on my grade. The thing was, I did experience it as kind of a roller coaster because, like, the first 45 minutes or so, it's a really, like, fun movie. Like, everyone's having mm. the time of their fucking life. And, like, you know that's yeah. not going to last. You know it's Of course. Gonna. And so, like, it gets really dark. And then you start to wonder... Oh God! How dark is this gonna get? 
And yeah. it's getting worse and worse. It's like, ah, have we reached rock bottom yet? No, we have not, sir. No, we have not. And I'm like, oh, no, no, we have not. And just to make sure that you know that they put like a title card up at one point that basically says it's about to get so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot what it said exactly, but I was like, I turned to Kim and I was like, wait, were there any other cards like that throughout the rest of the movie? And was, the answer is no. There was one other <laughs> card, but not like that. <laughs> Um, and yeah, no, cause like it was before the car where I was like, how much darker is this going to get? And yeah, then the car it got like real, sh- real shitty and you went, Ooh. And then they, they said on screen, huh, buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man. Uh, so like at, during the, the, the depths of that, I'm like, depending on where this goes in the next half hour or so, I don't know if this is a movie I can watch again. Because it's going right. be, like, that depressing to me. Because, like, I felt some of that stuff. Like, watching the fall of, like, Amber's character and how she brings Dirk down with him. And watching mm-hmm. the total fucking tailspin that sends him on. And all that stuff. And just watching her totally implode around, like, the stuff with her child. Like, it's like, yeah, yikes. And this is after, spoiler alert, little Bill is had a double homicide suicide. I'm like, yeah, Jesus Christ. You know, what's crazy about that. You know what? Uh, spoilers here on out. The movie was released in 97. Uh, and I think maybe another thing that we should probably go into. I don't like that. When we talk about the movies um, up front, we feel like we need to draw a hard line of like where we're going to talk about the spoilers. If you're, if you're in this, in the movie section, I think we should, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's clear that we're going to be doing spoilers. I think we think we should do that from now on. It's just it's basically just spoilers. If you have something to say up front, we can say it, but we shouldn't have to beat around the bush. We're just having a conversation about the movie. How about this? Com- come in here having seen the movie. Uh, is basically what I'm getting. How about this is the new policy? We will be spoiler free until at least both of us have given our Twi'lek review and our grade. That's right. And then from then on, all bets are off. That's right. Okay, and we'll you know we'll we'll do the prompt. We'll we'll prompt forever that it's going to happen. But just to be clear, that we're not going to try to to talk about the movie up front. I feel like just an, it's just kind of annoying because I feel like you have to. Well, I'm just saying if, someone, if someone's interested and want to hear our grade, and that's going to yeah, determine they can, whether they want to sit down and watch the movie before they listen to the rest of it. Yeah, they'll have had the information that they need. I try and write all my tweet link reviews to not be spoiler. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I completely agree. All right, so that being said, uh, we're in spoiler territory. <laughs> so yeah uh the double homicide suicide double murder suicide what's amazing about that scene though is that it didn't happen he walks it any of the other times before that no it's the way that it unfolds right when he opens the door and looks in and then walks out and closes the door behind him and then walks outside i knew where the whole scene was going Without knowing that he has a gun in the car, without knowing how they're going to play, like, I knew where it was going. That's what I'm saying because and, he, he's done this like five times already. And the way they just he, but that's this is the this is the writing, the direction, the camera work, and specifically the tremendous acting by everybody in the movie. Uh, well, I mean, William Mitchell Macy is a great actor. Like, I mean, I and get like, that he's like a he's a character actor. He's a he's always going to be a supporting actor. All that, but like, he's a really good actor. Yeah, that, and it's the whole story on his face. In that scene, like that was just, uh, and that ooh, that awkward like smile laugh before he does it to himself, like that was heavy. Yeah, that's a crazy scene. Yes, really, just really well done. Um, 
also like just while we're on the topic of like like putting a bow on his whole well first of all yeah like <laughs> watching how like sad and pathetic he is as like a person is like it, it, it honestly it hurts right it's like yeah because he doesn't seem like a bad guy there's never like a, like an idea that maybe like he's any sort of like abusive or neglectful in his life where like someone would want to do that to him no he's just being taken advantage of it seems totally taken advantage of for i'm not entirely sure what reason but also when he's on set he's competent and confident yeah he's a real integral part of making those movies like like he like like even like takes charge when he has to like you know doing his stuff like he's not doing that whole wishy-washy thing of you know, oh geez, you know, it's time for you to get on set. Okay, if you're not, no, he's doing his thing. Like he's just in yeah. it. He's working, and then see. And this is again what I'm saying about like, this whole ensemble. Like this character could have been totally one note. He could have been on set the same way he was in his relationship. Like, mm-hmm. He's not. He's a real human being who has got work under control and can't get his life under control. That's right. I, I like. It's interesting that you say that. He's like how good he is at his job. Is the only difference between him and Jack that Jack can compartmentalize? Probably. But isn't that crazy though? Like well, they're, like they're two sides the of the same like, coin. Right, like Jack has like the vision, but like if he if something happened to Jack and for the day they needed to shoot and little Bill was in charge, it would have yeah. been fine, right? Like he would yeah. have totally handled whatever needed to be done for the day, and. To see all of that, like, like, like I said, thrown up against just how utterly incompetent, incapable, and lacking in confidence he was in his life is such a, like, a poignant little look at, like, one of the least important characters. And, like, honestly, like, maybe you could say that that's kind of the death of the, like, quote-unquote innocence of the group at large. Like, that symbolizes, yeah. like, the tipping point for where that, it all goes. That, like, closes Act 1, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so like, maybe like there's kind of something symbolic in that because nothing directly happens because of that in a negative way. It just no. kind of casts a pall over. It was a bookmark though. It was what's like going to happen. Like what's to yeah. come. I also find it like kind of a footnote to this whole story, just cause I went through some interesting stuff with the cast of this movie because I knew obviously Mark Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds were in this movie. I did not know that Don Cheadle or Philip Seymour Hoffman or even Julianne Moore were in this movie. So like I kind of went into this like somewhat lacking in context. Um, I had forgotten, but did know that John C. Riley was in this movie, but still, Oh my God. Like seeing him on screen is like, Oh yeah, that's right. He's in this. I forgot about that. You know, but like 90 seconds later, I'm like, wait, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in this. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I noticed him from afar, when he's on the other side of the fence in the fir- before he comes full frame for the first time, and I was like, "Is that?" <laughs> and then when he did, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but I was looking through like all like like the people in this like names I knew, names I didn't know, and I found out that little Bill's wife is a porn star in real life. Oh my god! Great, it, that's it, fantastic. It's funny that a character who was never. I mean, I guess we could assume probably that she was one in the movie. We never see her outside of the context of being his wife, but just considering like how cavalier she's fucking everyone in sight, including right. in front of a group of people in the middle of the lawn, right. that she probably is one. And considering he works in porn, like it seems very likely that she would have married. He would have like been involved with the porn star, I guess. Like that's how he would have mm-hmm. met her. Um, I just found myself curious. I was like, wow. 
she's probably the least attractive of all the women in all of this. She's not doing any of the actual porn scenes in the movie. It's like, I'm not familiar with any of her work, nor do I want to be. (laughs) (laughs) Circling back for two quick seconds on two characters that you, that you brought up one Scotty. Uh, and only because I almost, one of the intro things that I had for you was fucking idiot. And I, I was going to oh. say it over and over again, but I don't think I could do it no, justice. So dark. I didn't do that. Too dark. And then the other one is, uh, John C. Riley. Uh, we always have a, we have a section. I have a section of my notes for each movie. Um, that says favorite moments and, and favorite moments and least favorite moments. John C. Riley as a magician is my favorite moment <laughs> of movies. <laughs> just, just the, there's a scene where he's got the box and he spins it around and he takes the swords and he clangs them together it awkwardly and then puts them on the floor and waves his hands. <laughs> I'm just like, this is great. Job's character in Arrested Development. Oh my god, it's got to be right. It has to be. But uh, that that was great. Also, I love how awkward. Like the movie starts off. The whole first act of the movie is super awkward in like a it's almost like a a storyline in a bad porno like that's like what in a porn right like and like with especially with the two with uh eddie and what john c john c right eddie and reed talking to each other it's almost like it's almost flirtatious and awkward like and like it's about to go somewhere the whole time also it's clearly like workshopping what john c Riley is going to do with will ferrell and stepbrothers (laughs) <laughs> when they first meet in the lawn, like it's, it's almost the same scene. All right, yeah, that's that's. Oh my god, that's that's really that's exactly what it is. Uh, did they steal that from them? <laughs> well, in this case, it's, oh. it's more obvious the literal like progression from one to the other. Also, sure. When I first saw him in that scene, I was like, "Oh my god, John C. Riley is so skinny." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, if there's something about him though with his iconic voice, uh, especially when he gets a little bit riled up, that I can't take him seriously only because I find him so funny. And they like, do, I, I mean, laugh when he's being serious. Like the comedic relief often, but still he gets his moments of like being like more dramatic in this. Like he's not just doing the goofy ridiculousness. Right. But it's the old, it, it does kind of break the immersion of it in the Molina scene, specifically because when he yells, I can't help but laugh because it's a, it's a goofy yell when he's scared. Well, again, I can see shades it's, of Dale in the scene when yes. they're both, or at least Dirk is super high, but I think they're both high with the recording studio when they're when they're arguing with the the, the music producer about the rights yeah. to making the stuff. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, again, this feels like workshopping Dale. <laughs> uh, when they're arguing at the okay, do you know who that is? No, the guy that won't give them the tape. Mm-hmm. It's Robert Downey Senior. Oh, you know, I saw him in the castle. And I was like, I refuse to believe that that's a person. (laughs) No, I knew there was only a junior was an actor. I knew (laughs) that he was in this movie, but I kind of never clicked that that was. I didn't, I didn't know. uh, I've never seen him in anything or I don't remember him for anything. And it was still, it it was for whatever reason, it was mind bending. I've never (laughs) seen him in anything. I know that he was in. Like acting, like uh, I don't know anything about his career, but I, like I said, I was scrolling through the cast list and I did see his name in there, and I meant to like follow up into, like, oh, like who, like actually is he in this movie? Like what other things has he done? I just never got to it, but like I do remember seeing mm-hmm. that in there. Like I knew he was in this. Yeah, yeah. The uh, 
another character that, again, throwaway, right? Like, honestly, like, they could have gone through the entire movie without having him in it because he doesn't actually, he doesn't push the plot in any way. He's just there for things that happen. But I'm so glad he's there because he's fantastic on screen. It's Luis Guzman. And his character is great. It's so silly. Well, even just and something is like, again, we keep coming back to like the quality of this script. When yeah. you consider the world building, actually, I would even like levy. Like we talked about the difference between focusing on like, like I said, two and a half characters in the fandom thread versus you know an ensemble here. I honestly, and you know, you said like nominally following Dirk, but it's really about this group of people. It's not even about that. It's about the whole. It's like the lifestyle or the. It's about just that time that yeah. those types of people in that type of place at that time. Like it's. Yeah. The whole setting is the main character of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so the world building is like preeminently important in all of this. And some of it is super explicit and a lot of it is implicit, but it's done in a real, like it's, it's, a, it's like your own mileage. It's this is the type of thing where like, if you can handle it, watching this movie over again, you're going to notice more things and probably also yeah. help to maybe have lived in that time. Like I'm sure an older audience would engage with this differently than you and I, who were mm-hmm. born. Like I was born with this movie starting 77 or something like that. Like I was born 13 years after this movie is supposed to be taking place. So I really don't have any functional like concept of it right. from a perspective. I've never engaged with it myself. Um, <laughs> there's a, it's a stupid little thing that I just like it checked the box for me where it, like I was like when I noticed it, I was like I like that yeah. he says early on I just really want to be in one of your movies and then he's just in one of his movies as a bartender yeah. he's not yeah. fucking anyone he's just nope. a bartender in the movie and that's all so he bad. wanted was to just be a part of what they're doing yeah because he, he was he, he did have his own thing he was a good club like he was a good like he was running the club that he didn't own in the beginning to the point where he ends up owning a club which i thought was a great scene and again completely throwaway doesn't even need to be there but it's so it's almost endearing that him and his two i think they i think he said they were his brothers yes when they well, opened yes, the, 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 the club brothers. and they pull the thing down and Which also reminded me, going back to Arrested Development, of Tobias is Queen Mary. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. But, like, uh, like how important is that character and that club and how these people engage with those, those, that people in that place, like, to that whole setting? And again, it reaffirms what I'm saying about how I feel like the whole setting is actually the star of this movie. Mm-hmm. it would be missing an integral part of the tapestry if he and that club were not a part of it. And to know that he can't just disappear, that he is part of the fabric of what's going on. He's now a part of their movie. He's at their parties. Mm-hmm. Like he's not just some guy, some hanger on. He is a part of their group, even though he doesn't fuck anyone on camera. Like it doesn't right. matter, but it still matters entirely. Yeah. So it's so funny. Uh, it's probably worth going through the list, the, the entire cast list. Um, Amber Amber Waves, which the first time that I that the name like Amber, I understood they were saying that the whole time until I saw it on the screen when she was making the uh, the documentary, particular <laughs> documentary. Uh, when it said Amber Waves, I went, "Oh my god!" Like I, it didn't register until that point that that was her name. <laughs> I think it would have worked. 
better for me if she was blonde. Mm. You know, just to, like, <laughs> no, I just like to like capture the whole essence of being the amber waves of green. Like, you know what I mean? Like she's got red hair. Like she should be blonde. I feel like some sort of dirty blonde, whatever. Amber. Yeah. Isn't amber yellow? Isn't it? It's like a reddish yellow, isn't it? Isn't it more on the warm side? Uh, maybe, but the point is yellow, I still feel like is the base of that. Like, like when you think of wheat, amber waves of grain, you don't think red, you think yellow, brown. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. Um, uh, not very so, red. <laughs> so you, you had brought up her character before her. That's a, that one's heavy, right? That whole storyline. No, there's the fucking like, layers there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a lot to take in, but I think the best scene is with Amber and roller girl. Uh, for the, for those characters, when they're together in the bedroom talking, and she's like, "Can you be my mom? I'm gonna ask you if you're my mom, and you say yes." That that whole scene, like the way that that plays out, I was like, "This is so awkward, so horrible to watch, so and also just so dark. sad, it's so dark." Yeah, it's but like delivered in a way that's like they're both like smiling and kind of happy, yeah. but also on the verge of tears, and it's like, right, right. Am I supposed to laugh? Or, like, and the fact that they're okay happy, cry, laughing, snorting them? drugs the like, entire time is like exactly how you're supposed to feel. Yeah, like there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah. It says that one very simple, stupid conversation is it says a lot about both of those characters and the states that they're in. Um, yeah, it's also the beginning of because like to that point, Roller Girls seemed pretty unfazed and unfeasible, mm-hmm. and that starts to pull down the curtain a little bit to the yeah. big blow up scene in the bang bus later. And That's right. yeah, cause we already knew that Amber was a hot mess, right? Like we knew sure. there's a lot going on there. I don't remember now if that was before or after the scene in the courtroom, but uh, I think that might've been before, but we already knew that that's where that was heading. Yes. A hundred percent with roller girl. Like she's always kind of just, she's just doing her thing. She's just rollerblading. She's just fucking, she likes it. She seems yeah. to have, genuinely enjoy her work, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and and you know, good for her and all that. And she just really wants to be on her roller skates and do drugs and fuck. And like, yeah, everything else is kind of just minutia. Mm-hmm. Um, she seems, she seems nice. Right. And it's like, oh, wow. So the rollerblades are actually, or roller skates are really, really really dark look at the fact that you are a child in a yeah. grown up's body. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's interesting. Cause like they, they do that, right. They make it seem like, Oh, she seems to be almost as if she's okay with this lifestyle, that she's in it. She's fine. Uh, puts up a great wall. But when there's one of the little cracks starts to show it, then the entire thing starts to crumble and it makes it that, I think that's what makes it so dark. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, because like when she's been the, the vivacious like life of the party and all this, and like she's just right. like going on and doing her thing, and and like why would you ever question? I was like, okay, these people are all weird. Why isn't there? Why wouldn't there be someone who's just in roller skates all the time? It's like, yeah. oh no, that is a big defense mechanism. Yeah, yeah, big. Yeah. Oh man, heavy stuff. Um, and even I was gonna say, even the stuff with with Amber, right? Like, I mean, you. The, the, the drugs, way too much drugs. There's the super jaded we see her. Like, she's like, she acts like she's above it all. And it's obvious that she's just, she can't get out of it. 
she's super jaded. There's the whole thing with the kid where it's like, does she care about the kid? Does she not care about the kid? Okay, she gets clean. She cares about the kid. Totally breaks down because there's no chance she's getting the kid back. But she wasn't clean, though. I thought the, at the point at that point was because that was I think you're right. It was after the scene with Roller Girl, and it's after Dirk leaves. So I assumed yeah. that she got clean at that point. I I took it more as that um, I don't think she was clean because she actually looked high in the scene, and I thought that it was more. That I just assumed she, that was. Just, I don't think she realizes that she's an addict. Oh, see, I the way I read that scene, and I was getting a little tired because that was a like not terribly long before I turned the movie off. Cause I had to go to bed that night. Like mm-hmm. I read it more as she doesn't realize the mileage it's put on her face that when she's mm-hmm. not done up with makeup to go beyond camera, that it's going to show that she's, you know, probably 30 years old, but has the mileage of like a 50 year old. When you consider just all of the porn and drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. um, so I read it as, well, when I say clean, I mean, like, she probably hasn't done drugs for a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As opposed to every five minutes. Gotcha. Yeah, I, that's funny. I, I definitely, I thought, in my mind, in that moment, she was she was a little high. She, I mean, she looks rough, but she's not doing all the little druggy ticks that she's been doing the whole movie. She doesn't mm-hmm. have the drips. She doesn't have any of that going on. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's but fair. I, I could be wrong. I mean, like, and obviously, like, like, totally justifiable to question whether you would like sure would either way not even really the it doesn't matter because that's not even the point it's just the ma- the damage is done and like it is a it's a, it's another part like they have the darkest stories uh yeah. her and roller girl and also but still i find the most interesting and compelling scene involving her was the scene when her and Dirk work together for the first time because you see this person who's clearly drugged out, clearly super jaded, thousand yard stare half the time, like feels like she's above it. Like it seems like she's trying to be above it all. I like, couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. And her working with him for like, oh, I don't know, 30 seconds totally takes down all of her defenses. Yeah. Because she went from the consummate pro to like she's in it in the yeah. moment. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. a weird like juxtaposition to see there. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's such a, it, it's a, it's a, the movie's got layers. It's like an onion. Cause it feels like, it feels like in that, <laughs> it feels like in that scene, it's supposed to be showing off the prowess of Dirk. Right. But again, this is where I say he's a plot device, not a character because it's really to reveal her own vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It really has nothing to do with him. Yeah. And then, but then to see that then come back around later when she, like, how did he stay above the fray for those many years? Like, was it five years before he finally does any drugs? And she, yeah. she like, professes her love to him, which to me almost kind of caught me off guard. Because, like, you see the, the seeds of it in that scene, but, like, years have gone by and they've never really, on a personal level, gotten to that stage. And all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, I full blown love. Like you, I didn't think I could do that anymore. I didn't think I could mm-hmm. do love like as a person. Mm-hmm. And you've brought that out in me. Please let me ruin your life with drugs. Yeah, right here, do this <laughs> and I was twice like, right now. I was like, no. If you love him, realize that he's been above the fray this whole time. I don't know yeah. how, but he has. Why would you do this to him? Yeah, I think it had something to do with him being uh, like like he was young and naive and. 
all it took was somebody to put it in his face. It just so happens that nobody specifically gave it to him before that moment. Sure, but it was just so easily and readily available and like so pervasive that you would have thought at some point, like someone, you would honestly, it would have been surprised to me if he was just standing there and someone just went with cocaine in his face. And right. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I could, I feel like I could see that happening in what we do in the shadows. <laughs> uh, and like, oh, okay, I guess I just do cocaine yeah, now. And like, that, yeah, great, man. Do cocaine with us. Okay, yeah. I will, you know? like. You want to do some coke, man? No. Yeah. yeah. No, wait, no, no. <laughs> Always remember how that question is phrased. Hey, you want to do a lot of coke? <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you want to do a lot of coke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, also, by the way, on the, like, the cons, like, just the idea of coke and all that, I want. Coke as a concept? No. I want... <laughs> I'm not going to be greedy. Okay. I want one-eighth of the confidence of that girl when she shows up at the party screaming out loud, <laughs> is there Coke at this party? That's right. The level of confidence in that girl. Hey, is there cocaine here? Yeah. Screaming it at like, oh, I don't know, 1 p.m.? Yeah, in the, the uh, outdoors, like in front of this party, like if I had one, I just want one eighth the confidence. Do you know? How there was a. It was. It was, <laughs> it was in that scene that I was like, "What was the? What was the law at the time?" Like I was like, "Was it?" Well, yeah, one of the rules. Like I was like, "Was it? Was Coke? Like was there a point where Coke was just frowned upon? Like what? what I mean, is that? In is that it, time in that area <laughs> in, with those types of people?" It feels like it, yeah. <laughs> right? That's what, okay. That's, a, that's what I was getting at. That scene, the, the way that unfolds with her ODing in the room and them that's being actually, so wait, like... You, know what, you want to, to, again, like pointing to a scene where it's like, that's a great scene. The scene yeah. in the bedroom. That's a, like a great scene. It is scene. a great scene. That almost, it was reminiscent of the uh, the apathy in like a, in a, in like a gangster flick when somebody's been like shot and is laying on the floor and they're just having a conversation around the person. Yeah. You know, like in, like in Goodfellas when, when spiders killed. Okay. Like, and they're just, they're just kind of like, like they're, somebody's annoyed. Somebody's talking about it. They're, they're still just having a conversation while this person is dead on the floor. And, and it's and like, another person's freaking out over them. But even that, like, yeah. it gets grounded again because he goes, he says, Oh my God, this is the second time this week this happened. He goes, this is the second time this week that's happened. Do you think that maybe you might want to get some better stuff? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> like, yeah, where it's like, it's now gone from this is a mere inconvenience to, hey, wake the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. No, that is a, you're right. That's a great scene. Um, that is the scene, I'm pretty sure. Isn't that the one that leads into seeing Scotty for the first time? They're walking him out, and he's the one that's holding, he's opening the gate. I yeah, think. maybe. I think so. And that's when I went, is that? That's That was the scene with yeah. the long hair. And I was like, what is happening right here? Um, Don Cheadle, Buck Swope. Yes. My favorite character in the movie. Really? Okay. I think so. I just, I just love, I love him. He's just, he's, he's just going through his own little identity crisis. He doesn't know who he is. He's trying to figure it out. He thinks he knows, but people are kind of talking him out of it. He's trying to do something. He wants to do it. People that he's close to are questioning him, and he's just kind of lost. And it's sad. And then he finds this person that just likes him. Mm -hmm. 
for who he is, and he turns around, and it's so good. I just love it's he's he's the most wholesome character in the entire movie. <laughs> Although he does sell out at the end. Sure, but it's just I feel like it's just for the for the ad. Also, I mean, you- he deserved that money. Should he take the money though? Well, the, First of all, honestly, the, the, no, the bank should have given him the money. That, that money's on the bank. I'm sorry. Well, hang on a second. <laughs> you want to talk about the plot twist of all plot twists? Yeah. Talk about the early 80s in California. Yeah. And I'm like, they're going to the bank. And I'm like, oh, so this is going to be the, the thing where it's like, yeah, no, you're black. We're not going like, mm. to find ways to, to not come out and say it, but like, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And the bank's like, oh, black? No, that's fine. The poor, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. I, I do love the line, stop, like, stop, stop saying I'm poor. <laughs> like, he's, like, yelling it in the bank. Yeah, no, uh, yeah that, that's other people that you're not important, quite, like, screaming I'm not poor. Yeah, the, uh, I, another thing, another reason why I love his character, uh, when he's talking about the TK421 amplifier, and all I can think about is, why are you not at your post? <laughs> scene too and I was like that's so perfect which, <laughs> which again it is that's why the number like 1977 struck like stuck in my mind I was like that's the year Star Wars came out mm. is he doing that as a because it's obviously BSing when he's selling those speakers in that opening scene uh, is he doing that because that sounds official but it's something he heard in Star Wars that was great question I do think that it might actually be a thing I mean, listen, uh, could there be at any point like a combination of letters and numbers out of the same? Sure, it could be. What I'm saying is it's obvious he's BSing most of that spiel there. So it seems like not just a reference to Star Wars, but I think an implicit nod to the fact that part of his shtick is that sounded like the model of a like of a a stereo system. So I'm going to say it it, because it's coming to come off my the tongue naturally because I love Star Wars. And I'm going to say it, and they're going to be like, really impressed by that. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that is kind of funny. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of curious which way it went, because there's also the other the other side of that is that it was a thing that was in his head when he wrote that line in for the code in Star Wars of, of like that person's character, that character. So that's, I don't know. Either way, it's great. <laughs> Whichever side of it that we're on. <laughs> Find it very silly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he took the money. I like that whole scene is super intense, right? It's totally ridiculous. It's like, like completely surreal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's reminiscent of, um, of tension scenes in the shining, like that type of horror movie, but the way that they do the rise of the music and the, the, the pulling in of the camera on the characters, like it's, there's something that's like, it makes it, it makes you feel boxed in when you're watching it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like they really they amped it up in that scene. Like, I, and I like that during the during the entire that entire portion of the movie where everything's falling apart, title card included. Uh, when we're like, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Uh, they did like it, like tapped into multiple genres. I feel like, and like that was one of them. Like that, like horror movie esque, like the thriller movie, um, just like pure drama like as they were like as we're doing the close-up on the girl's face as she's crying when uh or she's tearing up she doesn't act, i don't think she actually fully cries uh, roller girl during that scene um her eyes well up but i thought that was interesting too because it seems like she's still holding on which is fascinating um 
but the one the 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 scene that really put me over the edge where I just thought like my blood pressure was going through the roof was the Alfred Molina scene <laughs> where where they aside from first off the music is really loud intentionally yeah the characters need to shout so that you can hear them and the firecrackers going off were giving me a level of anxiety that I did not know that I could experience. <laughs> Which is the point, right? Because the whole yeah. thing is they're super on edge. They're high. Everyone else is mm-hmm. high. And we're going to just keep intentionally at like, not even in a rhythmic way, like, like kind of like a totally dissonant way. There's going to be a sound that sounds like a gunshot in this scene where everyone is afraid it's going to end in gunshots. Right. And who's going to get shot because they hear the firecracker and think it's a gun. Yeah. Which doesn't even end up being what happens. Mm. Oh my god. It's that that whole thing. That that was crazy. And I, you know it's going somewhere. You know it's not going to end well. I also like the idea of... Uh, it's funny, like... Which also, by the way, in this scene, we also get more on top of the ensemble. Ving Rhames and Tom Jane. <laughs> Tom James, yes. Was that not Ving Rhames? Because it sounded an awful lot I, like him. I don't. I don't think so. I honestly don't think you. Do you ever really see his face, or do you see it for a split second? I, I mean, maybe again. I was watching that in very poor. Yeah, I, I don't. I thought that was him. I just don't think so. The first, like when he's first on it, his looking through the window and you can't even see his face. And I heard his voice, and I assumed that was him. No, I don't think it's. Him. Oh, I, I thought it. I because you're right. I never got a good look at his face. I just heard him, and I thought that was him. Gotcha. Based on like um, purely on voice. He. uh... So in that, and that's Tom's Jane though for a moment on him. From the moment that he enters the set for the first time, oh, when he comes on screen, you know he's bad news. Yeah, like they, like this is the character that's gonna tank everything, and it's it's not even him; it's more his mustache. Like, <laughs> his mustache is gonna bring us all down. <laughs> but uh, I don't know that 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 whole thing was pretty crazy. Like I. Like I like I saw it from the moment that he's having that conversation with uh with uh John C. Riley and he's being he's just being a total tool bag and I'm like, Oh god, this guy is bad news and like he gets in with the crowd and like then they, they like just to just to prove the point, they go through the whole quick cut of him running out, bringing, getting drugs, bringing them back, running out, getting drugs, bringing them back. I was like, Oh God, it's getting, they're, they're making it so much worse in four minutes. <laughs> it was, that was wild. Um, anyway, him, he, he met his demise with a shotgun blast to the belly. Yeah. Um, well, I, again, this came down to lighting. Did he get shot in the head to start that off or not? No, he got shot in the arm. Okay. I couldn't see. It looked like the way he jerked. I thought he got like shot in like the ear or something like that. No, no, he he gets shot in like the shoulder, and then he runs in and kicks the door open. And when he goes to kick the door open, you know what's next. You know that there's a somebody on the other side about to shoot him, and it's a shotgun blast to the belly. Yes. No, that part I saw. Um, yeah. Also, what a terrible plan. No, I got a plan, guys. I kind of wanted to know what was in his safe. Was it just the money? Like, why did he know the safe was specifically under his bed? Yeah, it sounded like it was just a lot of money. That was weird. Because the way it sounded like there was maybe something specific, like money and also something specific. And like maybe we were going to say what that was, but no, we didn't. Yeah. 
running that that whole that that scene's super intense running out and like the the, sh- the shooting at the car and the car rolling down the hill and trying to get into it like it the intensity of the scene never dies down until we move on to the next scene like until we leave that entire set piece <laughs> well, so poor reed I, I, where did he walk to like how did he get home? i don't know it, uh... <laughs> he walked to the magician's academy <laughs> also i mean i guess we could talk about it at this point um what a weirdly positive ending to this fucked up movie, like with a lot of yes. fucked up people. Hundred percent agree. I mean, Prodigal Son returns, and then we do this whole embrace situation. That that was a good scene too. I want to say, uh, Mark Wahlberg is Mark Wahlberg, right? He's not. He's. I don't think he's that great of an actor. I enjoy watching him in things. I think he's a fun actor to watch. I don't think he's a great actor. I mean, this role probably tested him more than most, and I, he but did well that, enough. That, that being said, though, that scene, I need help. Can you help me? That whole thing at the end, like, he nailed that. Well, so there was a scene you were going to bring it for, like, that was the one. Yeah. Oh, man. And then that embrace. Ooh. Ooh. I was like, oh, we're going to we're gonna do this? We're going to end okay? <laughs> Which actually, honestly, kind of was even second to, for like, as far as Burt Reynolds, right, where his character, where, where Jack is, like, again, showing, like, the kind of compassion and care that you don't expect from him. The scene when Dirk first blows up and storms off set, like, you know, like, he's, like, he gets to anger eventually, but he genuinely cares for Dirk in the moment where he's like, you're in no state to shoot. Like, it's not anger, it's not ego, it's, you're not okay. You're you're not okay, and you're completely strung out right now. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, you expect in that moment for him to be like, the show must go on, and he's like, fuck it, man, we'll wait till tomorrow, like. Please sleep. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I uh, I will have. I have one more note here that I want to go into from favorite moments that I had. I pulled a quote that I'd like to read to you. Okay. From the movie. Yeah. Favorite moment. What can you expect when you're on top? You know, it's like Napoleon when he was the king. You know, people were just constantly trying to conquer him. You know, in the Roman Empire. So it's like history repeating itself all over again. <laughs> Some of those things, especially, yeah, like that, that was because that was from the documentary, right? Yeah. But some of those things were just breathtaking. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed his little monologue at the end, which was where I got the whole 13 inch cock thing from. But mm-hmm. my favorite scene from the movie was when just like, again, the whole surreal thing of how he like goes down where he's like, you're going to have to show me that you can do this when he's auditioning him at the first thing. And he goes, Would you like to have sex with her? Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would. Um, you, and she rolls over. So are we gonna have sex now? Yeah, please. He goes, okay. He goes, so how do you want to do this? And she just jumps him. Yeah. And then they start playing. I've got a brand new pair of roller skates. Yeah. Phenomenal. It's a good scene. A good <laughs> and he's scene. just watching. Like he doesn't look like he's getting off. He's truly admiring the artistic moment. Yeah, that he is somehow like painted this masterpiece, which by the way started with him whispering in her ear, "Go suck his dick." Yeah. <laughs> I uh, and in that scene, are you going to take your skates off? I don't take my skates off. Yeah. What <laughs> a way to live. But um, <laughs> when she, I, you know what? The, the time that that took me by surprise was like, oh yeah, she was roller, she was roller skating the first time we see her in the club, and I was like, oh. And then I was like, I wonder, 
Oh, are the other waitresses that's doing that That's what I also? assumed, too. Like, even... That seems totally par for the course for that sort of weird place. I, I didn't even think about it further until she's in school taking the test, and she Roller rollerblades blade. storms out, and I went, oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> also, again, like, kind of thinking of, like, just, like, I don't know why, just him, like, like seeing Burt Reynolds playing this very soft version of himself, right? When he first meets... Eddie, I guess at that point, and and he says, I think this might be the last line he says in that scene. I forget where he goes. I have a feeling you have something very special in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what? There, yeah, there, there were some great. I loved those really direct lines. I thought they were actually really funny because in their execution, it's like there's no scenario where you can say this outside of porn. right so but they managed to do it into a like in a real movie uh what was it when the colonel was like so they say something i hear you have a nice cock it's like i'd very much like to see it (laughs) will you show it to me now yes thank you (laughs) (laughs) was nothing sexual about what no you would think would be an incredibly sexual like moment thank you yeah, if this was a cartoon, like dollar signs would have popped up on his eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway, I think this qualifies as a movie that is far better than it has any right to be. <laughs> yeah, I guess probably that's weird to think about. I don't know. <laughs> Plot point. Like you you give the title of the movie, you read that I have to be synopsis, you tell me two hours and 35 minutes. There's no way in hell I think this is going to be a good movie. <laughs> also, I gotta say, was that the, was, was Boogie Nights the name of the club? I, I, I don't even remember. I don't know. Like, where did that come from? Like, no one says it. Uh, like, I never got, like, like the nights never seemed particularly impressed. Like, like important, honestly. Most of it takes place during yeah. the day. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Was, that the, was that the name of Luis Guzgan's club at the it, beginning? I don't even remember. It, it might have been, but I don't. I can't say it with certainty. Like, I feel huh. like we should know that. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, any other notes on this film before we move on? Uh, no, I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm good. Tapped out. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Flicks and Six. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have a movie for us to review or nuggets for us to discuss, you can send those requests to flicksinthesix at thespintune.com or tweet us at thespintune. Tune in next week for more movie and beer goodness. Until then, I'm Anthony Costanzo. I'm Al Bielsen. Thanks for coming out. Uh, we have two episodes yes. that we need to discuss. Two very big episodes. Yes. We take one week off and two incredible episodes drop. <laughs> well, they finally answered our like our like our prayers and gave us like yeah. some meaty action, some meaty leading man parts. Oh, sorry, wrong. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Still stuck on uh, the Arrested <laughs> Development, Tobias, and all that. <laughs> we had Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers That's in right. Arrested Development. Um, we're stuck on like some like real meaty like plot development, character development stuff. Like there was, there was big stuff in these two episodes. Yeah, there was. Well, I, I really enjoyed episodes. If we go back to the one before that with him meeting the other. Bogotans. Yeah. 
Um, I think what was cool, so first off, I really enjoyed that finding out that that, uh, not Jedi, but the one before that was directed by Carl Weathers, um, bringing him back, bringing other characters back that I didn't expect to, like the, the guy that we freeze in the carbonite. Well, yeah, mainly him. That was great. Like, that was really fun to, to, like, and then to keep harping on it. Right? And like and keep making the jokes of like how long his sentence is. And just like arbitrarily knocking years off to have him do stuff that really is making no impact on his sentence, like at all. No. Yeah, he had like, he had like 360 years or something like that. And it's like became like right. 345 or something like that. Yeah. Oh man. But that was really funny. Uh, then of course we got our um we got the uh, oh I forgot what they were they were called something, but the, those macaroons. We got we got the the little baby little baby Yoda eating the macaroons, uh, Grogu, if you will, uh, <laughs> eating his macaroons. Uh, Wait, did we talk, and, did we talk about that? No, we didn't because we missed it. You know that that's a thing that like people like that are be that's being sold now, right? Yes, I think I sent it to you. It was like fifty dollars for twelve of them. Yes. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's that being macaroons. said, like uh, if you watch, uh, I don't know if you watch Babish at all on YouTube. Uh, I, that is. I love all of his stuff, but uh, he did one where he made the macaroons and has an intro where he was talking to uh, John Favreau. So that was really cool. And he, he made them and then he made like uh, a less intense version of it that takes away less time, <laughs> which I thought was, I appreciated that. Um, uh, I also say it wrong, uh, which I learned during that. And I forgot exactly how we said it. It's macaron. It's that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I think I tried and I choked like three times trying. So I'm just going to accept that I am wrong. Well, you, and, you, you uh, want to say macaroon, but there's only one O in this word. Okay, macaron. Did I get that right? Did you do it right? I mean, it's definitely a lot closer. All right. Well, anyway, he made those those blue guys. Uh, blue guys. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, the I loved that whole thing of, first off, asking for it. The kid being a dick and not giving him one. Which, I mean, just give give... Give the little Grogu one, right? I mean, he's adorable. He speaks no English. Like, he's but just he's sitting clearly, there. clearly, like, I get that they, they don't know. Like, I guess he's 50 years old, but they don't know that. Like, to, like, their eye, he's clearly, like, three years old. That's right. Okay, give him a snack. And uh, then the idea that he used the Force to grab it, because he doesn't really show the Force that much, but he, he wanted that, and he took it. Well, we found that he only uses it when he really wants to. That's right. He uses it to get those eggs. He used it right. to get those macarons. He used it to save Din. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And he uses it for that little silver ball that looks like the Death Star. <laughs> yes. Uh, which, again, just the things that he really wants, it's the only time he's going to use it. That's right. Because we, well, we get wants, season one Grogu finale, gets. right? We get grief, do the magic hand thing, and he just waves yeah. at him. <laughs> so good. So good. But the uh, I love that whole scene. First off, to, to mix... Uh, Skipping ahead towards the end of the episode because we have there's something that we need to obviously d- dive deeper into uh, in the middle. But the end of the episode with that little uh, flight fight and the amazing maneuvers that are being pulled in the sky, which I thought was great to do that flight choreography. Yes, while the child is throwing his hands up in the air like he's on a roller coaster, was to com- to keep flipping back and forth between the intensity of the scene and the comedy of that was. Just so well done. And then it turns. Because yeah. while he's having fun, I'm like, dude, chill. He's going to throw up. Yeah. And then you see it turn where he's like, ugh. And yeah. then he finally <laughs> <like that. laughs> And it's like the most adorable little puke. So <laughs> Which is not a sentence I ever thought I'd say. <laughs> but 
we find out that there's this space, this imperial Facility? base in a volcano. Because you know, let's let's keep building things around stuff that can explode. Where they are, well, at least, that's at where least they're this making. This one made sense. They were using the energy of the heat from the like. At least there was a reason to do it. Okay, like you can that's say right. like that's risky, right. like too risky, whatever. But like. It wasn't just for dramatic effect. Like, they were making active use of, like, geothermal vents and all that. Like, fair enough. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the only oven that you could preheat to Snoke. <laughs> and, uh, of which there was, like, a couple in there, right, that were, like, in a creepy form that almost resembled what Snoke would eventually look like. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a proto-Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, lo- I love the question that I have... That pops up like when you're in that scene is like, oh, I mean, I know what this looks like, but is that? And then they do the music. I'm like, oh, you clever sons of bitches! <laughs> like, I love that they. I love the musical cues in all things Star Wars. Yes. Right? It's like there are people the music and places that have yeah, and it's so so like to hear that like that that like that whole thing when they show it. I was like, oh man, just way to tie this all up. This is great. Um, so that was really cool. I wasn't expecting that. I I, I didn't really know where we were going to go. I mean, I um, always assumed that there was some form of cloning going on, and that was the point. Um, well, sure. We discussed it last season, right? Like someone picked out that the badge on his shoulder is of the same as the Geonosis, or not the Geonosis, the Camino cloners. So, mm-hmm. um, and it made sense because they captured him and they were clearly studying him and all that. And it looked like they were doing some procedure on him, but we don't know what. And he, you know, he comes away relatively unscathed. So it's always been clear. There was some form of cloning or genetic material being extracted or whatever. So this is an obvious conclusion. Yeah. So that was, that was cool. Then we have an epic battle, uh, and escape from, Lava Land, which is really fun. Yeah, honestly, the best part of it is the three of them and the speeder thing, like getting chased by yeah. fighters, way overmatched, and still that was pretty exhilarating. That was really cool. I man, I just really enjoyed that. It was a lot of. It was just a really fun episode, and I was expecting like it, it, the way that they set it up was like, oh, are we gonna get Ahsoka in this next episode? And then they do all that, and you're like, oh, we're not. But this is fine. This is totally fine. <laughs> well, if you're not, like that's the way to keep us happy right like it's a really good right. episode in and of its own we get a little bit more it's funny like how we get passage of timing and we went from like grief just wants this asset to grief is like begrudgingly to now he's like are you taking care of this is he taking care of you and like he's yeah like, now he's like proud grandpa like you know come yeah. on little buddy like you know <laughs> and they all love him so much and even carol like is like uh, uh like her cold dead heart has been warmed by uh <laughs> by little Grover. yeah yeah, so great. Uh, so we, we, we leave and we move on to our next episode. Well, hang on. Where, we leave, yeah. we get the classic, we let them escape with the transponder in the ship. Oh, sure, sure. going to be important. And then they leave, right? It, it, it'll be important probably, what, three episodes, four episodes? I wouldn't be surprised well, if it's the next one, actually. So. The next one? Okay, that's fair. Um, and then we arrive... Uh, well, before we arrive, I like we opened the the Jedi episode opened with Ahsoka, Ahsoka, Ahsoka or Ashoka, Ahsoka, Ahsoka slicing through people, right? Like that's is that how it started? Yes. Or was that like okay? Well, it that, started with her. Yes. Well, that's a cool that's a cool way to open it up. Be like we're we're into like we're not gonna we're not gonna beat around the bush. Here, you've waited long enough. And like the, and I thought that was really cool. Um, 
seeing characters in live action form for the first time is always very exciting. Yeah, I'm always have a little bit of trepidation, like how is this actually going to look, and it should, yeah. it should look great. It's fantastic. I was yeah, I was I was very into it. That it was, was awesome. It's nice that they kept the 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 two white lightsabers. Um, mm-hmm. There's important like story behind all that, and the, the choreography fight, was the fantastic. fighting style, the court choreography was great. So I liked the brutality of it um, mixed in a PG setting of like clipping it by putting something in front of the frame, but then showing you the blade go through the thing that is clearly <laughs> like, it's also clearly going through somebody yeah. in between the, like the trees and then the bell at the top I was like, Oh God, that's so brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and dong as it falls down. Um, that was really cool. That whole setting was really cool. I loved the set. Yes. Uh, we also have, uh, uh, I guess, perfect timing for Dark Fat to come up this episode. Um, <laughs> we have Kyle Reese. <laughs> I didn't recognize him at first. Yeah. I mean, he's much older now. Um, sure. My dad actually was the one who recognized him. He's like, is that Michael Beam? It's like, <laughs> is that? <laughs> it sure is. Um, so that was cool. And we, this is where we learned the name of the child. Yes. Which I was a little underwhelmed with the name, which is fine. I mean, like, sure, but also, to me, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, I mean, well, what, what was I expecting? Like Star Wars. I, I, like, that's the thing, right? Where it's like I don't, I don't know what I was expecting, that. but that wasn't it for some reason. Yeah, I don't know. And I heard it was some sort of reference to some Kurosawa movie, which makes sense. It's a cool. homage to Lucas being a huge Akira Kurosawa fan, but like, whatever. Yeah, like, I, it's fine. Like. His name neither excites nor upsets me in any way, shape, or form. Like, it's just I, a thing. like what what is in a name? Like I, I was more upset with the fact that I couldn't remember right away what it was. I kept going back to it. Am I saying it right? Am I? Did I hear it right? But it's fine. Uh, so we find out his name. We find out that like we, I like the uh, idea of um, the attachment that he has to Mando. Which is really sweet. Which has been uh, obvious, and, you know, in like a parent throughout the, their time. Mm-hmm. But maybe the best part is that every time Mando said Grogu, he turned up and went, look <laughs> <laughs> directly at him. Like he was so excited that he knew his name now. It was so sweet. Also, it was an interesting way to pay off what they did. I guess it was the beginning of the episode before, where all of a sudden he's kind of taking direction and understanding. And, like, they start dropping little hints of that, and it's like, well, when did that switch exactly? Because most of the time to now, it seemed like when Din talks to him, he's mostly talking to himself. It's like, you know, the way that, like, you know, you talk to, like, your dog, where you're more talking out for yourself, not for the dog itself, because they don't understand what you're saying, because, like, you're describing complex thoughts, and you're not saying sit or go or whatever, like, you're... Mm -hmm. So, to see him, you know, he's trying to... I'm like, how is the child understanding him telling him about the wires is like well he doesn't ultimately because he doesn't accomplish what he's trying to accomplish but like it's pretty clear that he kind of understands because he's grabbing the wires that he's telling him to he's not doing what he wants him to do but he is grabbing the proper wires and like is clearly trying to figure it out and then he starts following some like specific instructions too not just like yes or no like there's more complex thoughts being just like conveyed to him and he's at least getting the gist of them and but like they kind of don't say or do anything about that and then all of a sudden it's like oh you know i talked to him through the force and like he basically gets all of it like it's like Mm -hmm. 
you little fucker. Like, all this time, you haven't tried to, like, reach back out and, like, meet him halfway. And, any, like, there's not been any sign language or any sort of, like, nod to the fact that you get what's going on exactly. And it's like, no, you get most of it. Like, um, and maybe, then he's just, maybe he's just being a playful little dick. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. And also, I'm sure we're going to get more study into this whole idea of the trauma that he's endured. Um, yeah. Which... Felt almost kind of brushed over, but I think it was more, uh, we have more on that later. It's important for you to know that he's not just a little baby that doesn't know what's going on. Like he, some of his like infantilization is a defense mechanism in the same way. Like we were talking earlier with like roller girl wearing the roller blades, roller skates Mm -hmm. as kind of a defense mechanism to what's she can't like deal with in her real life. Like I think some of this, him not speaking and him acting like a, Child, some of it is real, but some of it is played up, I think, as a defense mechanism against what he has seen and experienced. And mm-hmm. I think we'll get more of that later. And I think they didn't want to give us too much in that moment. They want to slow play that a bit. Yeah. Um, do you think, where do you think this is going? Uh, that's way too open a question. With, with Grogu. Like, where do you think his impact is on the universe? Like, clearly, um, it's uh, they were using him to make the clones. It's the clone, like the the Snoke's. Um, so far, that's what that we've got that. But we're at a time that's in the middle of events uh, that like that are going to unfold like later. So like, would you have any? Do you have any guesses as like where we're going with that character? Yes. What do you and mean? I have not read anything online i imagine that there are many people who've already said this sort of stuff online um i haven't read anything about it because i just haven't had the time to lately i haven't even mm-hmm. read any of the people who i normally like to get like recaps of this stuff like on the ringer yeah or Alan on rolling stone or anything like that i wish i would have done a little bit more prep work because i enjoy reading that stuff and watching those videos and stuff but i, I i'm with you so we're we're kind of going in blind together on well i'm not going blind because i have the backstory that you don't at least not the full oh, okay. picture of so mm-hmm. you know of ahsoka through mm-hmm. the clone wars and rebels um when ahsoka the big reveal to me in this episode was not that his name was grogu or that he understands the big reveal is that she asked the magistrate where Thrawn is. I lo- I was so okay. I was very excited about that. That's the twist. Uh, yeah. Um. One thing that I I was equally thrilled with the reveal that we're probably going to get him on screen uh, because again, that's another character that I enjoy and I would love to see the live action version of him. Which I don't know if we'll uh, get it in this season or not. And that's what I was hinting at a couple weeks ago when we talked was when it, I said. Okay, we're past the trailers now, so what's the big surprise we're going to get? Because nothing right. that we've had yet is qualified, and I get it's harder the longer you go, but yeah. there has to be something they're holding up their sleeve. And if what they're holding up their sleeve is that Lars Mickelson has recorded something as Thrawn, that qualifies. Now, they've tipped it off in this yeah. case, right? But to get him, to know that he's on the board for us yeah. is a big enough reveal. It's not quite the I, same way, but still. I will say, though, I as excited as I was, um, I thought it could have been... They, they gave so much happened in the episode that they actually could have... They could have played that one a little close to the chest for just a little bit longer of her asking where her master is, but not saying the follow-up line, where is Thrawn directly to the camera. 
like that <laughs> that type of a delivery always breaks immersion for me. I don't love that. Sure. Um, but maybe some other like reveal in like the next episode or two episodes later of who she was actually looking for in another way. I think I think they've played so coy with so many things that they have to choose what we're going to continue to string out and what we're going to give you. And they mm-hmm. gave us some stuff, right? But I think people probably would have been furious if they don't get that reveal because we still don't know where he is or or what's sure. going on or what why he matters to this story. Um and seeing how and when he shows up in what capacity, that will be its own big reveal. I expect we'll probably get a little thing maybe in the finale, but he will be more of a thing for next season. Yeah, this seems that it'll probably be the case. But even but still, though... That was pretty cool, though. That, just to say Thrawn is not enough, where I think this is going is... Well, there's two things. One, I wondered if they were going to pay off the Imperial Transponder in this episode, because I wonder if mm. their hunt for Grogu leads them to a more appealing target in Ahsoka to draw genetic material for their clones. If that was going to put her in danger, I doubt we've seen the last of her. Sure. And there's another reason for that. She tasks Din and Grogu to go to this seeing stone to cast out a broadcast to Jedi to, if he wants to be trained, he can find a master who's willing to train him. There's a lot to that, I think. I think Mm -hmm. that she is wary of taking on the burden of training him, considering what he's been through and all that, knowing what happened to Anakin. That's valid and fair. I don't think that's the whole story. I think part of why she won't train him is because she has her own quest to find Thrawn. Right. But And this is spoilers for the end of Rebels. I think we've talked about it in the past. Are you okay with me talking about this? I probably already know. Finding Thrawn is a worthy goal, but that's not really what she's doing. She's trying to find Ezra Bridger. Mm. She swore to help Sabine Wren find Ezra Bridger. Where is it? There is a Jedi still out there on the board who can help the side of good. And the only way to find Ezra, if she hasn't found him at this point, is if there has been, whether... It's rumors of him, or whether the magistrate was his her former his former apprentice. Although the timeline wouldn't be super great for that, because it's been now probably roughly ten years since Thrawn's been missing. Finding Thrawn is the way to find Ezra Bridger, whether he is still with Ezra or not, whether he's mm-hmm. back to his own devices, or whether it's just trying to track him down through any means necessary, no matter how cold the trail would be. I think that the story of Grogu leads to Ezra taking him on as his apprentice. Okay. And that could give us a really good explanation as to why the two of them weren't evolved in any way, shape, or form with the sequel trilogy, because they could be off who the hell knows where training. Right. And so part of me wonders whether Ahsoka is trying to give herself more avenues to find Ezra. Finding the magistrate to try and track down Thrawn is great, Sending Grogu out to put out a call to find Ezra yeah. is another avenue to do that. That makes a lot of sense. That's, yeah, that's a, that's, I feel like you're just right. <laughs> so do I. Um, <laughs> like, not I like to that. Beat my chest too much. Uh, and it's why I want to say, like, I don't want someone to be like, well, yeah, no, everyone's fucking talking about that. That I, I imagine they are because honestly, what, like, there doesn't seem like any other reason to do Ahsoka finding Thrawn in this season. Like, that Mm -hmm. has to be where it's going, I imagine. Like, I can't tell you I know all of the ways that this is going to manifest itself exactly, but 
that would seem to be the case. And to get Ezra and Thrawn, and ultimately that would pull Sabine into this storyline as well, uh, would be a really cool way for the next couple seasons to go. Yeah, for sure. And it makes wow. sense on how we're going to we're going to circle back to. There's no way Bo-Katan's story is done in this, and there's oh, no yeah. way that Din's involvement with Mandalorians and learning what being a Mandalorian actually means is. And so Sabine is the way that you go back to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I just want to watch more. I'm so excited that it's almost Friday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, super cool. The this is the first time we got proof that Beskar, true blue Beskar, actually fully blocks. Like lightsaber strikes. Oh, mm. like we've always known that their armor was their key to defending against Jedi, but I don't know that we've ever seen so explicitly it used as a direct like just to just a block just, a lightsaber, just a straight up block, not like oh it created a glancing blow or you know what I mean. Yeah. Like no, it's I put my arm up with my like a van brace made of Beskar and I stopped the lightsaber. I grabbed the spear yeah. and I've used it and it's an equal weapon. That's cool. Oh man, I, I've been I, I've been in my feeling like the the Star Wars vibes lately. I've been wanting to I, I want to watch a couple of movies. I, I do want to get back into Rebels. I've been really wanting to play Fallen Order again. Uh, I do too, but now I feel like I should just wait to play Fallen Order until I can finally maybe get my hands on a new Xbox. Yeah, because I probably might as well. really want to watch. I really want to play that on the 4K because I definitely even playing on my brother's. TV, I realized how much depth of color I was missing mm. when I was playing last year on the like it was amazing playing it on the huge projector screen sure. just from a scope standpoint. But there was like I realized like I was struggling seeing some of stuff what was going on, like yeah. just from the contrast of colors. And like honestly, a lot of the stuff with the lightsaber got lost on me because I couldn't tell the difference between all, all like you know, I could tell green and blue and like yellow, but like some of those colors are like indigo and violet and like yeah turquoise and all that like i couldn't really tell the difference between some of them yeah yeah and then i saw them on like another screen or actually i think i saw one on your on your screen i was like oh my god there's like way more variety than i realized so pretty (laughs) and i never i still haven't gone back and played it all since they did like that little update with like you you can use a red lightsaber and you can wear that the suit from the vision and all that like that's cool stuff too yeah um so i'd love to dive back into that it'll now have been almost a year yeah. Uh, well, by the time I get the Xbox, maybe a little bit over a year since I, I played it. Um, Fair. I don't know when that's going to happen because I looked at <laughs> every store within like 30 miles of me and I couldn't find one. So that might not happen till January. Who knows? Sure. <laughs> I didn't think my timeline was going to be that quick. And then all of a sudden, the thing is, once the I got the TV, the floodgates open. Where it's like, okay, now I want it. Yeah, I hear you. I get that. And it'll be so worth it when you do. It's yeah. so much. It's well, so much until I got the TV, it's like, oh yeah, no, like I'll just go get that like eventually. Like, and now it's like, yeah. Well, now I want. Yeah. Oh man. Well, Mandawatch concluded. Yeah. Mandawatch concluded. This is the way.